I, I don't see color to me feels like like brushing the problem aside. Oh yeah. It feels to me like a like a blanket answer. Like, oh, well, I don't see color. So that's not, the answer to the problem is not disregarding the problem. Mm -hmm. it's, but I don't see color. You need to shake those people by the shoulder and say, well, you need to Absolutely. because it's a huge dynamic of what we're dealing with. It's, it's the dynamic and what we're dealing with and talking about here. Welcome back to Authentic On Air with Bruce Alexander. I'm your host, Bruce Alexander. I'm a little intimidated as I sit here today because my guest is literally on air, live in front of hundreds of thousands on OKC's Fox News. Well, my on air consists of 13 of my closest friends and acquaintances running up my download numbers on different podcast platforms. Adam King is here to critique my interview technique after today's reflection. How do you handle the success of someone also doing whatever it is you want to be successful at? Are you tempted to intimidate them? Or are you jealous of their success? It took me over 35 years to stop playing the zero-sum game. Are you appreciating others' talents and successes, knowing that it does not take anything away from you? Well, unless you are trying to be them, that position is already filled. However, the authentic you will find room in an audience wherever you put your heart. While you mull that over, as always, I am genuinely interested and would love to hear any interesting, surprising, or revelational insights uncovered, so you can hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, or LinkedIn at Authentic Identity Management. Adam King recently made the big transition to evening news anchor for the KOKH Fox 23 News family. I personally am not a news watcher, but I really respect the role of the noble local news reporter. Not all of them fit that description. My guest today instantly struck me as a genuine person and has yet to disappoint on that front. In a world where a high priority is placed on pearly whites and slender frames, it would not be hard to be ugly on the inside. Not Adam, though. He is as handsome on the inside as well as the out. Please welcome to the show, Adam King. Welcome, Adam. Man, that's, that's, I feel like I had to do a better job. This is the same, this is going to be like the same thing that it was the last three or four times. We're just flipping it around. <laughs> right? Instead of me coming to you with a fistful of questions, we're just going to flip it around. It's going to be... All right, man. Yeah, I'm already less intimidated because you're such a nice guy. That that makes it makes it a lot easier. You could come in here and you know have this haughty air about you because you do an important job. But that's the appeal of stuff like this, right? Is is you try, we always try to go for that vibe. I've never been like a, I don't know. I've never felt like an important person. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. But I just like when people talk to me right now like this, I want them to feel that way. When we're talking on the air, like my whole thing has always been like, I'm going to be the guys you're, you want to come talk to me and hear from me because I'm talking to you like we were sitting in the garage or sitting in the right. living room, like having a drink and just talking about what's going on. Where, where does that come from for you? Like, is that something you've always had in your heart? I think it's just been, man, I think it's just the, the big part of that to me is when someone's turning it on or not being them, you can tell. I mean, it, it shines through, and like, I think if you flipped through, you know, maybe Oklahoma City's not a not a huge example of it, because I think everybody does a pretty good job of it here, but you can kind of tell, like, if you're getting somebody, even if you just were out in public and you, like, see somebody, hey, what's going on, uh, you can easily get, it's like the sniff test, right? Like, if right. something's going on with you, like, I can smell it, mm. I can feel it, and I don't ever want people to feel that way. I just, sometimes you got to talk about tough stuff. It's like evening news or morning news. Like it's not all happy. People attest to that. So you got to try to at least make them as comfortable as you can. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, is that depiction I gave in the intro, is that, is that still true? 
they still have a, a high priority on the looks of the reporters? I'd say it definitely matters um, more so than you'd like to admit. I think the pressure of that does not come from the stations themselves, mm. unless you're going to make like a major wholesale change. But I think it'd be like courtesy to like, hey, like I'm going to come in tomorrow night. I'm going to dye my hair blonde. Like, right. I am. like I think we right. should probably talk about that yeah. first. But um, no, I think that pressure honestly now is more internal from the people themselves, which has been an interesting shift because I think, Maybe 10, so I've been doing this for like 10 years. I think even a little bit, when I started, you could tell a little bit, like, because we, we're not, we're all human, right? So we get into the room, we look around, yeah, you know? And, and I think we, as we've moved away from that further on, as we get you know, further and further down the line, I think people have had a better understanding. They understand some of the pressure that can come with that. But I still think the pressure is more from people internally um, but that's a problem I don't think is is solemn to news, right? I think that's that's with everybody, right? Everybody fights that battle. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today, but you don't see a lot of plus-size anchors. I don't. I can't think of any. Sure. Like So, sure. I mean, maybe it doesn't, they're not putting pressure on you to change, but it, maybe they're excluding the an entire group. And I like this is not a judgment call on my part. It's just, you know, from my observation. Yeah. Would you, would you agree with that? I think there's definitely a mold, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's definitely a mold. And there's even some things with, like, uh, like facial hair. One of the first stations I worked at in South Dakota. It's like, no shave November, right? The local fire department there. For some reason, I've always had a, a, a good mesh and a good work with firefighters, police officers, and military. Mm -hmm. We all just get along. Maybe it's a similar mindset. Maybe it's a haircut. I don't know. You look like you can slide right into any of those and totally fit. Every time I check out the grocery stores, military discount is no... But thank you, I'm honored you would even ask. Yeah. But, like, so we were, I was going to do the No Shade November with the fire department. We we're going to make a whole thing of it. Two days in, maybe. I'm starting to get a little scruffy. It doesn't take me long to get, like, a 5 o'clock shadow going. Right. And boss calls me into his office. He says, hey, man, I don't know what we got going on here, but we're going to have to get rid of that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, we know that apparently if a person shows up on air with facial hair in specific ways, they're deemed to be less trustworthy. Oh, yeah? So there's, like, some stuff about that that they're in a corporate setting. Maybe they're spending more money to find things. So I would I would definitely not be surprised mm -hmm. if I heard there was a mold or something slotted out that they were looking for. I know in some positions they want – some places want two females at the desk mm -hmm. because it's, it's more inviting. Or they want a male and a female because they want that dynamic. So there's definitely different places looking for different things. That's yeah. for sure. So it's the, it's the optics, is what I believe the word yeah. I heard is called. Yeah. And, but it's not something you guys really pay too much attention to sitting behind the desk. You're just trying to do your best and bring what you can to the table, right? To be honest, I can't, man. Like, I, I just, if I start thinking about that stuff, um, I'm, I got so much, like, in, a, in, a, in an hour, right? Let's just, we're usually doing two and a half hours a day. The morning folks are four hours straight, right? Mm -hmm. In just an hour of that, we've got anywhere from... 100, maybe 120 pieces of news we're trying to bring you. Everyone averages about 30 to 45 seconds, maybe more, maybe less. And if I start thinking about, like, what is going on, I'm not going to be able to connect. I'm not going to be able to do the job that I've got to do. So I'll take 10 minutes, 15 minutes before. You know, I'll get dressed, make sure all my, my suit looks good, all that stuff. I'll do a little bit of makeup, do it on my own. It's, like, number one question I get in my life is, do you do your own makeup? I'm like, yeah, man. <laughs> um, been doing it for 10 years, getting pretty good at it. But once I do my final, like, check, it is 
business time. And as a male in that industry, I'm very lucky with that and very grateful for that. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of check-ins that I have to do or checkups that I have to do, whereas like the female co-anchors that I've worked with throughout my entire career, right? They they probably focus on that just a little bit more. Because I think too, a lot of the messages and things they get are more centered towards stuff like that sometimes. Right. So so with that having to remove yourself from the, you know, the the tiny thoughts and the all that stuff, is it difficult to bring yourself to, to camera? Like and actually deliver an authentic you to the audience? It was at first, and I think especially like if you watch the first week that I just did on this evening side, right? I'm working with Jack and Wendy. I mean, Wendy's the best investigative reporter in Oklahoma City right now. I mean, mm. she's doing stuff and getting into behind the scenes of stuff that like people aren't even thinking about and talking about. And then she'll bring it up, it's a big deal. So it's like kind of intimidating. Right. You can get in there. And I went from the morning group where I was like the kind of the king of the castle and, and driving the boat here. Like if stuff was, stuff was going wrong, I was the one who was kind of dispersing and telling people what to do. I, you gotta, you get a little tight, right? Cause you're like, I gotta stand next to this. I gotta stand up and stand next to this kind of tight in here. That's doing amazing things. But I think what you just really do is you take a deep breath. And if you can realize what you're reading, you know, you're reading off a teleprompter and you can realize what you're reading and the, and the significance, what it means to people as you're reading it. I think that's the key. Because mm. if there's something about you know, a family where we had a family where somebody got their son got shot in the middle of the street, you need to deliver that in a way. Like if I knew you for 20 years and I was like, oh my gosh, I just heard about you. That's how you got to talk about it. So I think it's it's as simple but as complicated as understanding the impact of what you're saying. Right. If you're like, oh, so-and-so's coming out with a new fit, like, yeah, you can, like, let it fly a little bit because yeah. it's not, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, right, is it that big of a deal? So maybe it's perspective, right? You just realize what you're saying is perspective and then realize that they're not just words on a page, right? That's, somebody might hear that and it if we do it the wrong way and it's the first time they hear it, it's through our mouths. Like it's going to change your day. Yeah. It's going to change your life a little bit. So you got to be, got to be aware of that. And I think that goes to, that speaks to who you are as a person is that you're not worried about how you look. You're worried about how people are receiving the information. And so because you care about how they're receiving the information that helps you step outside of how I feel delivering this. Right. I, I feel similar as I sit here talking to you, I want. To, I really want to deliver my audience a good, a good conversation. So if I'm sitting here thinking about like, is he thinking about you know how stupid this sounds? You know, is my audience worried about my voice sounding weird? If I start getting into all that stuff, all, all my fears and doubts, I'm not going to be able to do that, right? So I have to. I, I care about a good conversation, asking smart questions, trying to get you know following the conversation where it's going, being here in the conversation, and I think I think it helps so much to get outside of. The thoughts about yourself because honestly nobody is as concerned with you as you are yeah <laughs> yeah right? yeah well, the people who the people who who care don't matter mm -hmm. and the people who it's like or the people who don't care don't matter and the people who care like they they're the ones that they'll be in your life in your life enough consistently to make sure that you get what you need not, not just criticism how did you evolve 
and make that shift to becoming, I'm just going to say more mindful, right? Because I think it's just being mindful of what's going on around you and, and across from you or like as you went on. Have you noticed as you've yeah. gone through from like show to show? or Absolutely. It's, it's been, for one, it's, it's hard to separate out how am I doing as an interviewer versus me like picking at myself as a person. It's like, oh, that's annoying. Whenever I do that, oh, that's, you know, <laughs> if I smack my lips, I'm like, oh, that's so annoying. If I, you know, do a deep breath and I didn't edit out, oh, that's so annoying. That, you know, yes, that irritates me. But most people, aren't. they don't hear it the same way. So I'm like, I try to look at it as, did I listen well? Yeah. That, that's what's important. If I listened well, I was asking better questions. If I was asking better questions, the other person was talking more. Because initially, whenever I first started, at least the second one, me and my wife, we have a pretty good, you know, rapport. So that was the first episode. The second episode... I felt like I talked way too much. And it's not its not because I don't think that I'm an important person and I have things to say. I, I definitely have all that stuff, but I'm here every episode. Mm-hmm. I really feel like it's its my duty to give the guest a chance to, to really own the platform and get out of the way for them to tell their story and ask a question so, the, so our audience can learn more about you. And as I've focused on that, it's become easier and easier to get out of the way and just and let the conversation speak for itself. Man, that's a cool evolution, right? As you feel that out, as you get going, yeah. you're like, man, it you is really self-aware, really fast. Even just like watching a couple pieces of tape or like watching a couple of them back, you go, man. <laughs> I, I really I have to evolve fast because I don't want to listen to myself. I'm like, you better fix this, or else you're gonna have to listen to this until you fix it. I'm like, you better fix it. Like, I was like, oh, my voice, oh, it's so cringy. But other people like it, so I'm. I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, that's everybody, right? Like, everybody hears their voice or whatever for the first time. They go, oh, my gosh, is that me? Oh. Me. Uh, uh. <laughs> you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's, uh, that's a very I, – I appreciate the, the compliment, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so let, let's go back a little bit. For people who don't watch the news, can you tell our listeners who aren't familiar with, with you, in your own words, who you are, what you spend your days doing, and why you think I invited you to be a guest on the show today. Oh, man. Here we go. We'll try to get inside your head a little bit. Well, I think just... I'm just a guy, man. I don't know. We kind of already talked about it a little bit, but I'm just... I'm not any different from anybody else that you'd see at the grocery store around the street or anybody that you're talking to. I'm just your neighbor. Like, I'm just another guy. Um, I got lucky enough to get a job where I get to have a little bit of a platform and a little bit of reach, but... Um, it's just I'm just a guy, right? And I think some of that other stuff too is is goes just to show it. So I got a pretty you get into a pretty like almost structured and pretty set routine. But uh, spent a lot of time like physical fitness has been a big part of my life, whether it's been my own or um, helping others through it. So I do a lot of work as a personal trainer and CrossFit coach in every city that I've been to, um, and I do everything with people who just want to get healthy and move a little bit better, want to play with their grandkids or like really high level level athletes that want to compete on a really big stage. And I think that's given a lot of perspective too, right? Cause you get to see all the ends of the spectrum. It's really fun to watch somebody do something at a high level, but it's so much more rewarding to hear from somebody who's 60, 70 years old to be like, Hey, I, my grandkid wanted me to pick him up and I could do it without my back hurting, uh, which is really cool. Um, so I spend a lot of time when I'm not at work doing that. Like that's before I go into the office today. That's where I'm going today. Um, and it's it's a different way to give back, uh, but it's a it's a fun way to give. It's something that you can 
you can see the change, right? So sometimes with, you know, you give 20 bucks to some kind of foundation or charity or something, you don't know, you don't see it. Mm -hmm. This is kind of a way you can give back and see every day. So I try to, you know, give back a little bit through what I do for work. And then when I'm not working, I'm kind of working on trying to help some other folks kind of keep it going. Right. So I was, you know, you talked about physical fitness. Whenever I was, you know, my fittest, I never, I still really hated myself because all of my, all of my connection to working out was motivated by guilt and shame and fear, right? What, what motivates you staying in the gym? Like I've, you know, I've researched your career and like you said, everywhere that you've been, you've been at different gyms, being a trainer, a coach, like what, what motivates that for you? So we have something within coaches that we just call the aha moment where you get somebody going and it just clicks, right? You're going to tell them, hey, you're talking to people who maybe aren't really physically aware all the time. So we try to keep things really simple. We tell you like a body part in a direction. I want you to take this knee and move it this way or this thing move it this way. Because that, you know, okay, I kind of figured that out. And then you can start to see things click and not just when you talk to them in the gym, but when they get done. So every time somebody comes to me, the first 10 minutes of a 45 minute, whatever, we're just going to talk about what's going on with life, how things feeling. Um, and it's just seeing the excitement in people that things are going well and getting better that it just, man, it's, it's the most amazing thing you can feel like to get excited for somebody else. I've always been a guy who takes the energy of the room and then kind of uh, multiplies it. Right. So if we're, if I'm in a room with a bunch of people, I'm going to like, yes, all right, cool. Let's go. I'm going to be popping around, buzzing around. And then if I'm the one that's kind of tense or something like that, I go, whoa, okay, like, what are we doing here? How do we, what are we right. trying to figure out? Um, so the motivation for me is, is to get the excitement and the positivity from people and then sort of selfishly, right? Like you get to ride that wave with them. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be in the driver's seat. Um, I've had my time and had a lot of fun and got to go a lot of places and accomplish a lot of stuff in that realm. But I definitely like want to ride shotgun. Like I want to be there for it. I want to be a part of it. I want to be the first person that's like, oh, this thing happened. That's awesome. And like a hug and a high five. So that that's why you coach, right? Yeah. What oh, about, why, why do you work out? <sighs> I mean, I've, seen, I've seen you hitting it before. Oh, we used to go to the same gym and yeah. you, know, you get after it. Yeah. Um, man, at this point, let's see. I started I trying to figure this out. So I was always a hockey player. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through it out loud. Yeah, I started as a hockey player all my life, like since I was about three years old. I had skates on, played through, played through high school, played a little bit after high school, played a little bit in college, uh, played some tennis in college. I think it was before that, though. So maybe sophomore, junior high school, Brian and I are pretty overweight. And and we've, I think it's another thing that, that what he's also a coach. I'm twin brother. He's also a coach. He lives in West Virginia. I think it's one of the things that make us great coaches because we've been here and we've lived it. I think he was, I believe it, he was somewhere around 290 pounds. I was about 270. This is like right after high school, maybe. We were just kind of like, things weren't quite going. You know, everybody has that thing where they just kind of stop, try to find a new normal. Um, And he lost about 100 pounds, like doing his thing, just unbelievable. And we had a picture at a tennis tournament where we were playing doubles together. And looked at him and looked at me and we're not identical twins but we're very similar mm-hmm. i think right now even if the only difference between him and i is a beard like they look yeah. almost exactly the same and 
we had a picture of us side by side. We looked like two totally different people. I just remember seeing that picture and going, whoa. Like, am I in a, doing the things that I need to do to, like, be the person that I want to be? I don't think there was a lot of negativity towards it. I just remember seeing that. And everybody, I think, that I've ever worked with in that regard that's had a lot of success has had a moment where they just, it's not a negative moment, but they just kind of step back and they just kind of go, whoa. I maybe didn't realize, like, this is where I was at. So that's what started me. I wanted to make some change and did that. And then I think what keeps me going now, part of it's habit and routine. Um, I competed in the sport of CrossFit for, like, eight straight years. Um, and you can def- – I mean, that is something that it is not for the faint of heart. I mean, we're going before work for two hours, go to work, after work for two hours, go home, go to bed. Everything's very regimented. Nutrition's very regimented. Recovery's very regimented. So part of it's a little bit of habit, but now I think it's just something that makes me feel good. Um, and I don't even care. You know, everything with CrossFit's scored and measured, and they want to know, like, if you can do the same amount of work in less time, you become more fit, right? That's power output over time. Um, but I don't even keep track of my scores anymore. I just go in, and I work hard and kind of move around and have some fun. And some days I, like, really get after it because I'm feeling good and my knees don't hurt. Yeah. And I have other days where I'm like, you know what? Like, this is enough for today. It's been 103 degrees out for the past four days. I think I'm okay. I think we got it. Uh, so it's, it has taken some time to find balance, especially comparing. Uh, but now it's just something I do to make me feel good. And again, I can get in there. Usually if I'm with a group of people, I find somebody and I cling to them. And I'm just like, hey, we're just going to make sure you have a good day. I'll get mine. It'll be fine. So I kind of ride that yeah. same, almost the same thing as like a coach, right? I just want to see somebody else have a really good day. Yeah. And then I'll have a good day. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I've found that myself later in life is that, you know, giving to others really does help bring out the best in yourself. And so, you know, you do that in the gym too. And that's awesome. Yeah. You know, and especially at a CrossFit gym, it's a lot easier than when you go to, uh, you know, the big gym down here. Cause then you're just talking to some stranger and they're like, you never know how somebody's going to react whenever you're trying to, you know, boost somebody up as a stranger at the gym. Yeah. You still find though, right? Like if somebody is moving a bar with something on it, you're like, Whoa. Cause I think that's the other thing too, is, is in gyms anywhere, it's always, I only did this. Or, would you, how much did you squat? This butt. Like, right. I, or, like, it's always about, like, what you could have done more. And then you don't realize, like, there's literally people on this planet that cannot get up out of a chair. Yeah. On their own. Like, they have to have a button that tilts a recliner so they can get up. Like, you not only decided to get out and express this stuff that your body could do, that you worked hard to get there you actively chose to do it. Yeah. So like, that's like a number one pet peeve of mine is when people are like, yeah, but, and I'm like, or why don't you just say like, how about, yeah, I got this. Like, you don't, it's just, even just the phrasing, right? Like you can, but even in a, even in a like big kind of globo gym, I'd still, I'd walk by somebody and I'd be like, oh man, that's not like, I'd still stop. And I'd be like, Hey, that's pretty, that's legit. Like, <laughs> like I'm going to stay away from you. Cause that's, <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> so do you do you have pretty positive self-talk? No. Really? <laughs> Not at all. Dude. That's surprising. Not at all. Um, I just I save it for everybody else. Um, I I think everybody gets that gets caught in a trap where they can be really critical of themselves. I think the 
sort of what we talked about. What I'm really working on right now is being mindful of it when it happens. Yeah. I do think I am the best version of myself when I'm positive and positive towards other people. I don't necessarily know what it means or what it feels like to take a long period of time and necessarily be positive myself. And I think, again, it's just because a lot of the things I've always done, a lot of the, the hobbies and, and even the careers, right, they've all been comparison. Mm -hmm. Sports has a winner and a loser. And yeah. if you're not the one winner, something's wrong. Well, that's not true right no, so it's not. it's trying to it's trying to figure that kind of stuff out so it's definitely getting better it's getting better with mindfulness um but man is it that is tough and it's tough for everybody i think that's another reason why i think it's so important to be positive to other people because i think even the happiest people that you know the most up and down people that you know might have some stuff where they just can't quite get it clicking for yeah. themselves so i i've Whenever I think about my self-talk, which can be very negative at sometimes, I try to I try to listen to my own advice, which is try to picture yourself saying that to someone you love. Like, if if you do that, you're like, I would never say yeah. that to my wife. You have a you have kind of like a a trick, because you can picture saying it to your twin brother who literally looks exactly like <laughs> you, and say, Would you say that to him? No, I wouldn't say that to my twin brother. Like I love, like I love him. Yeah, but it's like you're doing the same thing. Right? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> wild. Oh, it's wild, man. I, yeah, I think it's the 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 thing I try to think about, especially when I talk about being mindful, is I try to say things like to myself, like, "Would you let somebody else talk to you that way?" Right. And very similar to what you're saying. Would you Would you let somebody else talk to you that way, or would you let somebody say that to to Somebody, you know, or that's kind of my thing that I tell people when I hear them say it to themselves is, hey, like, take it easy on my friend over there. They're trying really hard. You know, they're doing their best. Like, yeah. Give them a break. They're working hard. And then I'll make them laugh and kind of break up. And then they kind of realize, like, what's going on. So we'll have to find some, some ways to make that a little self-involved. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard. That's well, impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> But that's that's the stuff that we love, right? It's the impossible journey where you're never gonna get to the end. No, you're just gonna keep growing and figuring it out. Like, okay, I made some good steps today, and then maybe you'll take some steps back, and you'll figure it out and get rewired and get back to where you need to be. I feel like the reason why I'm I've taken the positive steps in the last few years of my life is because I started listening to my own advice. Yeah, I've always been able to get like dole out advice to other people that you know, has really been pretty sage and really kind and, you know, give yourself grace and don't, you know, don't take this from anybody, including yourself, blah, 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 and then turned around and been the hardest person in the entire world of myself because I've internalized so many different things. Um, but now that I've started to just, I mean, listen, like, listen to the, the nice voice in your, in your head, not just the mean one, because we all listen to that mean one. It's like, okay, yeah, you're right, I'm dumb. You're right, yeah, I am fat, like, yeah. I, yeah, I probably should just go lay back down. Like, but the, there's another one in there that's just so much quieter to start out with. And if you start listening to that, it gets louder, and the other one gets quieter. And yeah. that's, you know, it takes time though. <laughs> it definitely takes time. What do you think was the most important thing that you did to be able to like remove yourself from that? Because I feel like you almost have to be able to take a step outside your own skin mm. to kind of see and, and view that. What was the? What do you think? How For me, it was that? leaving the fire department. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, it was because the fire department was that 
that voice, the negative voice, it was that voice outside. Like hearing a lot of, you know, yeah, you don't fit in here. Yeah, you're, you know, and I'm not saying that all firefighters are this way or even the fire department as a whole. My experience with the fire department was not a good one. And so being outside of that, having the weight lifted off of me of going to a place every day where I knew I was going to feel so small and just like having time. I started to be able to hear that positive voice. Wow. Like it, it was just being removed from that situation where I couldn't hear that positive voice at all because in the, the negative voice was loud because I was hearing it from both inside and outside. Wow. I would have never guess that full disclosure, right? We, we've worked together a couple times mm -hmm. in the past. It's kind of how we connected. And I, every time we went to do something with you guys, you talk about something. I would have never guessed that at all. Cause you're always happy and excited not just to I, be there, but for us to be there. Yeah, I loved what I was doing oh, man. with the fire department. Like the the work I was doing when we met was really, I was really important to me. And I still, I mean, I still respect it. I still think Project Life is a great, is a great, you know, thing for Oklahoma City. But the the way that I related to the people at the fire department was not positive. And a lot, some of that had to do with my lack of self awareness, and some of that had to do with a culture that to me is toxic. Yeah. And that's you know. I definitely don't place all the blame in one place. I didn't fit in. And I and a big part of that was because I didn't fit in, I tried so hard to fit in, I was never myself. And that's, you know, once that got, you know, off of kilter, I was never really able to come back from it and just kept getting worse and worse and spinning further and further out to where I was so different from the person that I wanted to be that, I mean, if I had stayed there until retirement, I don't think I would have recognized myself by the end. Man. And how did... I mean, sorry, we're gonna flip the we're flip the table right now. That's just that's what I do. How do you? So how do you make the first step to get out of there? Because that's oh, it was it was not one that was um. It was not something that I brought up. So I I was faced with a situation where I was accused of something that I didn't do. Um, there was an investigation. I proved I didn't do it to like much to mine and my unions. Uh, we agreed that this this should cover it. They said, no, we still think you did it. I could have fought it. It would have taken up to a year and a half, two years, and that entire time I would have been on record as being terminated wow. for being insubordinate, for having stolen, for having uh, misappropriated city funds. I would never be able to get a job anywhere, like paying decent money ever again. Right. So I was. I had to just swallow my pride and say, you know what? I don't belong here anyways. Like, this is, the God has given me a very obvious sign that I need to get out of here. Because there's been lots of signs before this, but the, the, the money was too good. The security was too yeah. good. I had a career. And that was the first thing I was going to say is family and everything. I mean, you could have them set. I mean, yeah. set. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's what I mean. And that's why I put up with it for almost 10 years, even though after year one, I was absolutely miserable. The first six years I was in the fire department were the worst six years of my life. Because the, the first station I was stationed at, they absolutely hated me. And you spend 24 hours at a time with these guys. 24 hours being isolated and being an outsider and people telling you that you're fat, you're slow, you're lazy, you're this, you, you know, you're not funny, don't talk, we don't care what you think. Like, every single day. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it was, you know, I knew my dad was a firefighter. So I knew what the future held. I knew that there was... You know, all the security is like, well, I can do this for 20 years. We can do whatever we want. We can go wherever we want. It, it wasn't worth it. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that it's not worth it for 
Well, if you if you walk in and you fit the mold, then it, it is the best job in the world. But if you don't and you can't get there, that's that's not great. How many people do you think are playing that game right now, though? Where they're like, if I could just put my head down and, and a lot, yeah, yeah a, lot, a lot, man, a lot. And then and that's not seeing, you know, just the fire department. That's a lot of different yeah, places any over career. If I can just make it, yep. ten more years, and like being outside of that now. I don't understand how I made it as far as I did because having the freedom, which right now, you know, the financial security is not there. You know, everything is kind of up in the air financially. But my security and myself, is, oh my God, it's so much better. But also my wife handles, handles the finances, so she gets to freak out about, like, where's the money coming from? She is, you know, she is a blessing for me because she handles that. And I'm aware of what's going on. I'm aware that at some point, like, this venture has to turn into some sort of money. And I, and I think it will, because I think that what we're doing is great here, but I, my, my major concern is helping people get out of the situation I was in. Like, if I can help one to five to ten people transfer out of a system like that to where you are just burying yourself to try to make it, then I, then I think it's worth it. I think the other the other piece of that too that's interesting because there's probably a lot of people you know your situation is a little different but I think there's a lot of people that are sitting there right now going I don't know what to do I don't know if, how's this all going to work and I just I want to remind everybody about times that they were like in college or just first moved out of their parents house and you had a couple of weeks in there where you were just like I don't know how this is going to come together right but guess what guess what you're here you made it exactly you figured it out and sometimes like you just you just got to remember that whatever happens you're gonna figure it out Mm -hmm. self-preservation is the most 100 percent guaranteed unbelievably strong drug for lack of a better that there is out there absolutely you're not just gonna sit there it's a it's a perfect performance enhancer yeah you're not just gonna sit there and let everything fall apart around you like self-preservation is incredible. Sometimes you just gotta remember, like you will figure it out. And what what I what I really appreciate the fire department for is, as much as that struggle, you know, did crush my soul a little bit, it gave me the financial security to be able to dream bigger, this to you know be able to dream for a life where not only am I financially secure, but I'm actually happy as well. Because whenever I went into the fire department, we I was unhappy and financially insecure. Because, you know, I was coming from a job at a restaurant and I was, a you know, an assistant restaurant manager making under $35,000 a year. So it was to go from that to making uh, almost $100,000 a year whenever I left. You look at the world completely differently. Your your short-term and long-term goals become so different. My wife, my wife is, because she's, you know, the one looking at the finances every day, she is afraid of going back to that. So sometimes she's, she can't see the big picture my job is to is to keep the dream alive. Like I have to stay focused on that and say like we're gonna do something where I don't have to sacrifice my family, myself, or you know a good life to be happy. And I, I think that we're gonna get there. Oh yeah, and I with you, man. I don't think we've ever I've ever seen a, a part of you that's not constantly venturing for that. Because whether it was you know, after we got going, you, you're taking classes. Doing something that makes you happy, you know, like yeah. whether it's the drawing, like and yeah. and again, like the stuff that you pour yourself into, you can tell 
you can't help but get good at it or get better at it because oh, man, you're just I, all you. in. Thank you. And I, I definitely, that is something I kind of attribute to my ADHD is that I don't, I don't have a choice. <laughs> like, whatever I like, I like this, let's go, let's go all We're in. We're going to do this for four more hours. Exactly. <laughs> I was, I was, <laughs> so I started doing the podcasting and once I, once I got going, I just wanted to record as many episodes as possible because we're going to move in a, you know, a month and a half or two months or so. And during that time, I don't know what it's going to look like to try to record a podcast. Yeah. So I was like, I want to be able to continue going for a month at least without recording anything new. So I was like, let's just get as many recorded. And I was doing recording, editing, artwork for the, the covers, you know, YouTube videos, all this stuff without really ever having looked at what I was doing. So I made a workflow of post-production, like just after I've recorded everything I do. And I was like, I do this for every video. And I didn't, it didn't feel like it because I, like, I'm just in, I just want to yeah. do it. And it was kind of scary once I looked at it and it was, you know, a, a workflow that was like this long. I was like, wow, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> like, don't think about this too hard. Yeah, just keep going. Yeah, just keep doing yeah. it. Stay in it, dude. And hire some more people as soon as you can. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Authentic Audience. I hope you're enjoying today's episode with Adam King. I really loved getting this seasoned storyteller and investigator in the hot seat. It only gets better as we find our rhythm. Check back in Thursday when episode 13, Black Men Don't Do Yoga, Making Tough Decisions and Setting Hard Boundaries with Ramsey Zamoon, hits the airwaves. I sit down with comedic yoga practitioner, veteran, and black expat Amun Ramses to discuss how his authentic journey was shaped by his military experience, American expectations of black men, Massive weight loss, the end of his marriage, and his introduction to yoga, and much more. This is a conversation you will not want to miss as I am challenged to embrace a unique and unfamiliar perspective, and I ask Amun to answer some hard questions and be vulnerable as we dig deep into his story. Also check out episode 11, Where All the Hats? How to Competently Embrace the Many Roles That Come with Cultural Consciousness with Robert Ruiz for a really unique perspective on authenticity that we have never had on this show. And that's provided by the dynamic community builder and mariachi musician. Now let's get back to this great conversation with Adam King. Well, let's let's get off of me because um, as much as I do enjoy talking about yeah, that's my bad man. I no, just, it's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> I, I try not to resist the conversation. Like I want yeah. I want to follow where it's going to go. But we, we you mentioned briefly about being a twin. A lot of the twins I have ever known, it is a big part of their identity to have been a twin. Is that something that you that you identify with? And you had also talked about developing for one because he had, you know, made a pretty significant change. Is that something that you struggle with? Is that kind of going your own way because now you're doing something different than your twin? Oh man. So I do gotta say I have an older sister. She's a year older than us. She's awesome. Um, she's a teacher at a charter school in Columbus, Ohio. So she's doing some really important work, uh, helping some kids out there. Um, so she's she's a big part of this too, but I, I do think as far as being a twin goes, uh, he is undoubtedly the best friend I've ever had and will ever have. I talk to that dude every day. He said, I'm here, he's in West Virginia. We talk every single day. Sometimes it's text messages, sometimes it's like getting on an Xbox and just kind of messing around. We were absolute, <laughs> it's sort of like the movie Step Brothers, dude. We were like enemies like blood feud what romeo and juliet enemies till about like sophomore year of high school maybe and we just kind of figured out like hey this is gonna be a lot better if we do this like on the same team right and then ever since then it's just like we just had the moment where like we were fighting in the front yard and like in the movie swung the bike at each other and they just knocked him in the head at the, just the right time and 
Um, it just, I don't know what our moment like that was, but it just clicked. And ever since then, so I don't think, I don't think that I would be anywhere near what I am, who I am, what I'm doing in any facet of my life without that dude. Um, just being able to talk to him every day. If he's having a tough time or I'm having a tough time, you've instantly got a judgment-free soundboard to throw that off of. Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Do you think it's even do you think this is even the right call? And he'll say, Look, man, I don't I don't know anything about it, but this is what it looks like from where I'm sitting. And uh, he just I don't know. I just the, I think the one thing that people will never understand about being a twin, because I will it will be a part of my identity because he's such an ingrained part of my life is that no one, and it's kind of sad, but I don't think anyone will ever have as good of a friend or as close of a friend in their life as I do, right? And I think that's, that's something that I wish everybody would get the chance to have in their life. I mean, I'm 35 years old. I've had literally my best friend. I did, just didn't know it since for every second that I've been alive. Yeah. He's been right there. And so it's, it's a pretty deep, pretty tight bond you know um it's it's just really cool so it's just something i wish people could understand they just never will what do you think makes that that friendship so special is it the proximity in time or is it the fact that you shared a womb or is it i mean do, is there really that that thing that exists between you two where the sometimes the words don't need to be said a hundred percent not only is there shorthand there's just facial features eye, eye gestures mm. Yeah, and I think what, what makes it so close is probably a little bit of proximity, right? Like we just had all that time where we've been right next to each other. I think a little bit of it is shared trauma. Mm. I think that's that's a really thing where you can not that not that either of us have had a, a crazy grind of a life. Our parents are incredible. We've we've both worked really hard, um, which is a great phrase, right? I worked hard. Everybody, <laughs> if you ask everybody, they'll tell you they worked hard. Um, but like we, when we went through lows in life, we didn't go through them alone. We went through them together. So through some vulnerability there and that shared trauma, I've seen him in his lowest. He's seen me in my lowest. We both been there for each other, whether we wanted them to be there or not right. in those low moments. And that's what makes people you can count on. Mm -hmm. Like availability is your best ability. And He's always been there, whether I want him to be or not, and I've always been there for him. So I think that's that's probably the biggest part, right? Think about the people that you've had really jarring positive and negative experiences with. They're the people that you're close with mm -hmm. because you've shared, you know, in those moments, those intense moments, you know who people really are. You know more about them than anybody else. I mean, I wish I could say that the same were true for me. It's not necessarily me and my brother are as close as we could be. I think our shared trauma has created something where we're just not very good at having long-term relationships. Like, you know, that's, that's just a fact of life. Like I love my brother to death or to death. And when he comes around, I love being around him, but I've got situations in my life that don't allow me to go to him that often. And he has things going on with that. He doesn't come to me that often. And neither one of us is great at being on the phone. And so yeah. we just don't, we don't talk that often. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's unfortunate, but I have found other friends who have, you know, been a good job to, to proxy that. And he's, you know, he's always welcome in my life. 
it's just like I, I'm not that great at keeping up with relationships, and I really, I wish, I really wish I was. Like I wish I was the person who was able to to pick up the slack whenever somebody didn't call for a couple of weeks. But I just, I'm not, I'm not, and I'm working on it. Like I'm not gonna say that's just how I am. Well, it's how I am. It's not how I want to be. So I'm working on it, and especially if we're moving from Oklahoma City, where I've got so many friends who are important to me, I'm gonna have to get better at it. Yeah. Like, or else I'm just gonna be, you know, which my family is super important. I'd be okay being alone with just my family, but then my kids are going to move out at some point, and if I don't figure it out, then I'm not going to be close to them either, and that's that's terrifying. Yeah. So you know, you got to fix it. <laughs> is is it a is it a anxiety of like making the first move? What what? There's definitely some anxiety yeah. there. There's there's the the time that lays dormant, the the tension just builds for me. Yeah. It's like so if I see somebody every week, there's no tension. If I see them every month, there's a little bit of tension. I see him every six months. There's a lot of tension, like you know, and it just it builds up. And my brother used to like whenever he was in the military, he'd come back and he'd stay with me. Like whenever wherever he was, he'd come back and he'd come back and stay for a week or whatever. And that's when we always used to reset, and then things would be good. Well, then he stopped, you know, touring and stuff because that's what you do. And he got married, and we he stopped coming to stay with me, and that was like the pattern. And then I never did anything to, to repair that pattern. Yeah. And so then the time just grew and grew. So it was like all that tension, which is, it's not really bad between us. It's just now I'm like, if I call, what are we going to talk about? I, I think yeah. so much about it. It's way overanalyzing about it. It's like, we're just going to say hi and just check on people. But I still don't do it. Like I talked to him recently. So tension's low. Yeah. <laughs> I, should, I should call again while the tension's still low. Yeah. So, you know, being actively aware of that and trying to, continue improving on all these different fronts you know and vibes are high right now <laughs> vibes, vibes are high vibes like are a high. flag or something like yeah. high vibe day. just a just a graph on a chart as you can see yeah. vibes have never been higher we're at an all-time um that's so interesting so when you go to do i've always been a guy who at least trying to be self-aware if something makes me uncomfortable it's usually a red flag or a sign to me that I need to spend more time there, mm. for like doing it, right? So when I started working in the news too, especially uh, like my first job in South Dakota, I packed everything in my car that I owned, which was not a lot, just drove a Ford Fusion, shout out, and I drove 23 hours west. It was literally Highway 90 west, and it took me from just outside of Cleveland, Ohio, all the way to Rapid City, South Dakota. And the number one thing I did not want to do when I was there was essentially cold call. Mm. Like, hey, we think we got this story. Adam, you're on it. Go figure it out. And the first thing you have to do is, like, call these random strangers. Right. Hated it. Mm. To this day, depending on the story, least favorite thing in my life. Like, you are more likely to get an email from me that's like, hey, what's going on? Because it's, to me, a little less confrontational, even though there's no tone that gets conveyed through an mm. email. But I was like, okay, you got to start making these calls. You got to figure this thing out because, like, this is your job. Like, if it's the one thing you don't like about your job, you just have to get comfortable. So is that, like, a way that you go to solve some of those things that bring you tension is to spend more time in the discomfort? Or I'm definitely not a person who is averse to, to that discomfort. It's, it has more to do with, like, the active discomforts. Versus the passive discomfort. Got it. And those relationships can be the passive discomfort. And so I just, I put them away to handle the active discomfort yeah. and the active excitement. Like, so it's like this podcast, active excitement. Yeah. I love it. And there's a lot of active discomforts that come with it. Reaching out to people, 
talking about it all the time, trying to you know get people to listen. There's so many things that I I'm afraid are going to be taken the wrong way because it's like me 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 me. But when it's really just like listen to the conversation, you know. But I I'm dealing with that all the time. And before that, it was school, and before that, it was you know studying for driver. So it's, there's all these active discomforts that I'm constantly moving from. And my my wife tells me that I just never sit still long enough to really sit with myself. <laughs> And she's, she's probably right to a degree, but at the same time, I am evolving in so many other ways. But there's definitely this part of me that's that's being ignored um, that I, I probably should and likely will. <laughs> now that it's been said, now it's, now yes. it's an act of discomfort. Yes. So uh, look, now, now I have to spend some time with it, and I, I, I need to get better at my relationship management skills and dealing with that discomfort of not calling people because, you know, it's been too long. Yeah, so anybody who gets a phone call the next two weeks <laughs> brought to you by this podcast. Well, by the time this one comes out, hopefully it'll be like inset long enough so they, they won't know it was that. There you go. <laughs> you there had no idea that I was on the outs with you. <laughs> we just decided, you know what? We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to patch this up really quick before people start talking. Yes, exactly. People out here are starting to murmur a little bit. They're starting to say some stuff. So, like, that brings me back to talking about your brother and that, yeah. that twin, the, the twinness. Do you ever feel a responsibility to maintain a certain degree of, of sameness so you don't, like, outpace your brother or you don't change too much? No, man, because we're so, our trajectories are so different. Yeah. They're so different. And he's always kind of done his own thing. I think it's always something I've admired about him. Uh, he's just... He's never really, he's never really cared. I, I don't know if that's the, the nicest way to say it, but he's kind of never really cared. He was going to do the stuff that he wanted to do, and he knew everybody was going to be cool with it. Maybe they'd like throw, throw a fit about it or make a big stink about it in the moment, but then when they realize he's doing what he wants to do and he's good at it, like everybody was cool. So I don't ever feel, I don't ever feel like it's this game that we're keeping up to. I think the other part of that too is that he's just so cool about it. When something good happens to, to me, he's the first person I talk to about it. And he's like, dude, that's amazing. When something good happens to him, he does the same thing. And I'm just as excited for him. So I, I don't think we're, I think we kind of see it as like a rising tide kind of thing. I think yeah. if he's doing well, I'm doing well. If I'm doing well, he's doing well. I think we're, I think we're legitimately feel like we are two people on the same team. I mean, the, the only way we could make that even more true is like if we, Broke a bunch of laws in a couple of different states and got married. Like, right, you know, but it's just like, it's just we're so excited for each other that I hope he doesn't feel that way. We never talked about it. Uh, but I know for me, like, he could, I could stay right where I'm at for the rest of my life or have a bunch of bad luck. And he could keep going and I'd still be the first person there to high five him every time. That's great. Yeah. That's very good. Now, let me tell you, being a married person, because you're not married yet. I'm not married. So... Just getting married doesn't mean you have somebody on your team. Like, <laughs> right, I, I, you would think that that would be an automatic sign up for a team member. It is not. That's a conversation you have to have, and it's like it's a role you have to assign, and it's something you have to practice. And that goes both ways. Well, my wife and I just got on each other's teams like two years ago because we never had the conversation. Yeah, we never realized that we had all these different mis like misconceptions about what we thought marriage was, what we thought the other person was supposed to be doing, and there's all this like unspoken bitterness because. There was no definition of anything. So that's, you know, that's a piece of advice that I will hand out yeah. freely to anybody who asks is that 
marriage does not guarantee any sort of team, like team. It's it's an invitation. Yeah. But you have to you have to cash it in, you know. And uh, so that's you didn't ask. Like, <laughs> <you know? laughs> so like talking about your different trajectories, your trajectory has taken you to a career that you seem to really enjoy now. But it seems like you sacrificed a lot to do what you do today. Tell me some about your journey going from that 23 hour drive to today. Oh man. Um, I think the number one thing that I've, that I've lost in this and you kind of delve into it and really think about it is family time. I think my parents are fantastic. My sister's great. My brother we've covered and you know, he's an absolute rock star. Um, you just don't get the time with family. That's not something that you get back. Um, it's, seen some stuff and even through had like grandparents pass away that that growing up with all through high school when I was around I was really close with and then you know, move forward and life happens and stuff happens and you don't necessarily get the chance it's not a chip that you can just cash in in the last couple days so I think that's the number one thing is is when I look back and the thing that I, if, if I was going to have a regret and I don't think I regret it right now but if there was one thing i was going to say like maybe i wish i could have handled this a little differently as i would have found a way to do that with more family time it's just the nature of the business though you've got to go somewhere and start small um i think another another piece of that would be in just relationships and obviously we've folks you tell now the relationships interpersonal relationships are something i really value mm -hmm. and i think the the group i got so lucky in a career that invites you to be a nomad and never really get close to people and hunker down with people, the group of people I worked with at my first station in South Dakota, we were working during the week and then we would work together on the weekends. Because when you're brand new, like you're gonna work the weekend. But that weekend group, all it was me and three other folks. I still stay in touch with them. They're some of my best friends. Have we fallen off a little bit as we've all kind of progressed and got busy? Yeah, but I still think they're all people that if I called them tomorrow, they'd be there. Mm -hmm. um, but some people aren't that lucky. And, and I know the first station, I've got two or three people that I'm still really tight with. Um, when I worked in San Antonio, there's maybe one of those people that I still talk to because they all went from there and dispersed out around. Then we got back here, and, and I will say the, the morning crew that I just got done working with, with Shelby and Elliot and Kayla, oh my gosh. I mean, I can't, it's been too far apart to compare the two groups together, but that is the most fun I think I've ever had working in this industry is with those three in the morning, and that's wild, because we're all getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning, we shall be miserable, yeah. um, but they are incredible. So I think, yeah, I think the big sacrifice is the, the family time and maybe not getting to develop. You get to meet a lot of people. You get to have a lot of relationships. Most of them are on a very surface level. Mm -hmm. So the deep, the deep connections. Like if I was going to have a wedding tomorrow, I do this all the time, which probably says something about me. If I was going to have a wedding tomorrow and I had to have four groomsmen, if I had to have a best man and four groomsmen, I can tell you who my best man was going to be. That's easy. Everybody now knows that. I don't know that I could get to four. Mm. And there's something about that that bothers me. Like, I think I could get to four, like, just by, like, this is going to happen. Like, right. we're going to make it. But I think you would get to, like, I kind of work backwards and go, like, okay, if somebody was like, oh, number four, they made the cut. You know, like, everybody's been to a wedding where they're like, 
This guy's standing up there? No, that was my wedding for sure. Like 1,000%. <laughs> like, I don't talk to any of the people who were in my wedding anymore. It's crazy. Right? It's crazy. So I was like, sometimes I'll, I'll like think about that. I don't know where the thought comes from. But I'm like, I don't know that I could get to four. And then the people that would be there that really knew me would be like, this makes sense. You know, you can get by with like, with like, you know, her brother. Like, that's a, that's a good guy move, right? Mm-hmm. Get him in there. But like, get down to four. Like, does everybody in their life have four people that they know that well that everybody would be like, that makes sense. So that, like, you know, ugh. How jealous of you, are you, of you, or sorry, of the people who have, like eight or nine groomsmen and bridesmaids. Like, I'm so jealous of that. I'm like, I could never come up with that many people to be in a wedding. Yeah. Like, I mean, sure, I could come up with them. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, a lot of these people is like, oh, yeah, we've had the same group of friends since we were in third grade, and we're all just so close. I'm like, what the hell? Like, what is that like? <laughs> I know. I've, I've had the, my, my best friends are all, except for my, my uh, best friend Tommy, who came, we came in the fire department together. He's my longest standing friend. That's, you know, almost uh 10 years now outside of that everybody else was shortly after i moved here so coming like eight years or so six years or so like five years like outside of that there's nothing yeah i don't understand how people have that i i I don't know that i want it like my my wife has a friend she's uh she went to elementary school with and so there they go way back but they you know they've fallen off and she she has all these like these deep ties to parts of herself that don't really exist that much anymore because now she's a mom and she like the things that are important to her now are not the same as they were then and that relationship is kind of indicative of the then her because they you know they hit high school and started to go different ways but they you know remained in touch so it's like I kind of envy that but at the same time it seems like it can kind of like chain you to your past to sure. a degree. I don't know. I kind of like, though, I like hearing you talk about as a guy who, like, feels the tension and sort of the anxiety of, like, keeping up with relationships, being yeah. like, man, this guy's got, like, eight, eight or nine. Like, yeah, I, that's crazy. Thinking about it that the way. The juxtaposition of that is crazy. Thinking about it that way and, like, actually thinking about keeping yeah. up with eight guy think friends. maintenance there. That sounds really, <laughs> that sounds like a lot. Unless you guys are all in the same area and it's just like you have a guy's night yeah. and now it's all been maintained. Yeah. That sounds great. You're playing softball twice a week together, oh, like fancy football much. league or whatever. You know, it's the same yeah. guys we're doing since high school. Yeah, and I was thinking, somebody with like seven or eight or nine, I'd be like, again, first of all, it's just my brain. I would take a step back and I would start working backwards. So they're all standing there. I'd go to the outside. I'd be like, number nine. Like, all right, who's this guy? Who is this guy? When did he meet him? Okay, it's like so and so's whatever. All right, fine. He gets a pass. Eight. Well, he met him two months ago at the thing. He shouldn't even be there. So he doesn't even count. So now he's down to eight, right? I'd go through, I'd just start knocking him off until I got to like a type four. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, even, you know, you get to the to the line, I'd be like, nah, we're not gonna give that one to him. It's down to four. Right. I'd like find a way to justify it. I'd be like, yeah, we're not. We're not doing this. So, so it seems like like four seems like the number for you. Like there should be, you should have four <laughs> solid good guy friends. Is that, is that right? Like, is that do you think that's the number? I think that that's the 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 core, right? You right. gotta have like a core four, and then so it'd be like you, and then four other guys. That makes five, right? So you could all 
Yeah, because then you're like, if you're going to ride together in a car or an SUV, right, you can't only get outside of five. Like, problems. <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah. about, it's about efficiency. Yeah you, should, yeah, you should have a car, like a sedan, maybe an SUV. You could, like, weasel a sixth one in there. If we're starting to get to, like, minivan status, like, you, let's go. Let's tighten this thing up. So you, I'm lucky because all of my friends already have minivans. There you go. Because <laughs> we all go. have like over Come three kids. So it's like, hey guys, let's go party. Grab the minivan. <laughs> I just think like how many people outside, you know, how many people outside of four or five are really going to know, I don't want to say the real you, but but know everything. I mean, I don't think that. You can really share everything with everybody, yeah. but you know we talked about this in the show before, is that you have to be mindful of what parts of yourself you share with what degree of friends. So I've got like a, a core group of families that we're friends with because I'm not just friends with the husband or yeah. the wife. I'm friends with both of them, and like I've been very lucky in that because like I you know my wife met the wives with you know initially with our kids homeschool co-op. And then I met them, and I got along well with the wives. So then we all hung out, and I met the husbands, and the husbands didn't suck, because like they could have sucked. And yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. oh no. There was there was one husband who used to come, and you know I was a firefighter, right? So he would talk to me all the time about wanting to burn stuff down. And I was like, this dude, he, like, he is troublesome. Hey, he problem, makes me man. nervous. Like, get this guy. <laughs> he's like, I'm afraid he's going to commit insurance fraud, or he's like, or he's just you know wants to really do it for fun. It was always the same joke, and I was like, uh, it was funny the first time, kind yeah, of. we kind of got to... This is like the fifth time you made this joke, and you, you make me nervous. So, that was not a friend who made the cut. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting but, to a degree at that point, too, where it's like insider trading. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, people are going to be like, I know too much. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> you're trying to get some, like, in, some inside yeah. information, like, help me have you cover it up or something? Even for you, you're like, hey, we should probably just keep an eye out on this, yeah, exactly. on this street corner. And they're like, wait a minute. Exactly. But, um, so... But then I met these women, and their husbands were cool, and now, so I've got, like, a core group of four families that we're friends with, and so it's like, that's eight people, because I'm friends with both the husbands and the wives, and they know me pretty well, like, that's also because I'm pretty, I'm pretty out there with who I am to start out with, you know, with, once you come to my house and you have a meal, you're gonna find out quite a bit about yeah. me, because I'm just not, you're here, you're trying to have a good time. I want you to know straight up this is who I am so you have a chance to get out before it's too late. Yeah, it's all of garden rules, man. You're here, you're family. You're <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's, I need to get a sign for that, like, all of garden. So, Welcome in. Do you, have you traditionally in your life gotten along better or found yourself making friendships more easily with men or women? Oh, women. 1,000%. 100%, right? 1,000%. It's not even close. Not, not, it's really not even close. It's not even close. Which my wife loves. Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> right. Never been a fan. problem. Never been a problem. Huge fan. Right? Oh, see, I wonder why that is, too. I'm the same way. I'm the same I, way. I know for me, it has been a lot about intimidation. And for one, people think I'm intimidating. Like, other men are intimidated by me, so they, like, attack me. You know, they, like, break me down and, you know, say negative things about me. And because of that, I'm intimidated by them. Like, I'm like, this dude has the ability to say things about me that are going to make me feel really small. Women don't tend to do that to, to men. Men don't tend to do that to women. Usually, the if we don't like each other, we just don't speak because, like, that's fine. Yeah. But if you're friends with a woman, they're not really going to show up and break you down. Like, that's not how that's not how those relationships work. Like, if you do, it's like kind of like, 
kid sister, big brother type, you know, joking where it's, it's generally fun. Yeah. With men, it's not like that. It's like if you're not somebody that you'd go into battle with, then you shouldn't be friends. Like, and that's, that's a lot, you know, that's a, it's getting there for me was always pretty hard. Yeah. You know, they either you love me or you hate me for some reason. Or usually I win you over if I have enough time, but men usually thought they hated me. It was just something about my face. Yeah. They're just like, I don't, I don't like this guy. I don't want to, you know, don't want to give him a chance. So I just intimidated. So I just veered towards the women who were easier to, to have a chance to get to know them. And yeah. just, yeah, intimidation. You, same? Yeah, my line's always, I just tell, like, so I'm a lot. I mean, I think, I, I go to work and I gotta turn it on, so there's, there's a brief point when I get home or I get off of work where I just, like, I just need to shut down. But in, in my life in general, I'm a lot of energy, I'm a lot of, again, like, I want good vibes, I'm pushing good vibes, um, I understand that stuff goes wrong, so I don't think it's, like, a, a toxic positivity or anything, but I'd be a lot, and... At first, I think with guys, I think they see this like energy that comes out of there that's really positive and it's not necessarily machismo, it's just like general excitement. So they're like, okay, this guy's like kind of weird. What's his deal? Why is he why is he like this? He's kind of like bouncing around a little bit like a cartoon character. I don't know if mm -hmm. I'm down with this. Um, and I just I was like, look, guys, like we're gonna figure this thing out. I'm like black mold, man. Like, I'm gonna grow on you, you're gonna figure it out. You're gonna think you're gonna think you got rid of me, and then two weeks later, I'm gonna show back up like in, in more with more. Exactly. And like we're just gonna figure, just gonna. You may not learn to love me, but you're gonna learn to live with me, and we're all gonna be okay. I think, man, I couldn't tell you. I think I've never considered myself to be a manly man. Okay, mm -hmm. I I don't. I'm not a tough guy. Even playing hockey, like I wasn't. I was a goalie. I'm not a fighter. I'm a bleeder. I think I've been in like three fights my whole life. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm just not here for it. It's mm. not my thing. I'll stand up for myself. I'll like puff up my chest a little bit if it's situations like what it calls for, but it's definitely not my, not my default. Right. My default is not aggression towards another human being. I can even, I think with three fights that I have been in my life, I cried when they were done. Cause I was like, I don't like this like, at all. Yeah. Like what happened? I'm so sorry. Um, so I just, I don't think I've ever kind of similar thing to what you said. I think you said it really well. Right. I think there might've been something in some ways where people were like, I don't know that I can go to battle with this guy. Like, is he going to be what we need when it all hits the fan? And I am loyal to a fault i'm a great friend i'll be there for you i just express it a little differently and i think that throws people off just at the beginning like i said they, they kind of like similar to you two they, they learn what i'm about and get to know me so we got to get through that and that's i think that caused some struggle especially like later college years mm -hmm. you kind of especially as you're coming into your own i mean i took the opportunity to go to college to like truly and, and really be myself. And I think when I went to South Dakota, I doubled down on that. I kind of said like, I liked what happened here. I'm going to keep being what I am and I'm not going to filter this for anybody anymore. And I, I just, you, you got to deal with that, right? Like I think a lot of people can't do that. So they're kind of thrown off by it. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, this guy's just saying this or doing this. And you're like, well, what for man? Like, and I think, I think women, are more receptive to that 
whatever that could be. You could say a lot of different things about woman to woman relationships and what those consist of and, and how they're structured. Don't know about that. <laughs> not we can speak to that here. Yep, not that now. But so sometimes there's a thought that maybe that that straightforwardness and honesty and and for lack of a better unfiltered gets received well in a place where maybe filtration might be very common. Yeah. Um, so as you as you were talking, it kind of hit me that I think it's because men are animals. Like they're they're we're basically the pack. And everything is filtered through that pack mentality. Whenever you come into a group of dudes, if they sniff you and you don't smell like them, they're going to test you. And if you, they test you and you don't react like an alpha male, then you're a beta and they don't want you. You know, they're going to, it's like, they're going to, you know, push you down. They're going to say, you better, you can be here, but you better shut up and you better just, you know, let us run the deal. And that doesn't feel good, right? As a, as a human being who actually thinks things, that feels terrible. And you go to a woman and you, you know, they don't sniff you, they talk to you. Yeah. And they ask you questions and you answer them and you're thoughtful about it and you share, you're vulnerable and you share things and they say, oh, okay, interesting. And then they ask more questions and you feel accepted. And so then it's easier to continue being yourself. I definitely, I, that, that's where it comes down to me, for me is that one said, I know who you are already because I can smell it on you and I don't need it. I don't need to find out anything else. And the other said, oh, tell me more. And I like the, I like the second one. I'm gonna keep going with that. But like even the A team had Murdoch. <laughs> even even the Avengers had like Ant Man. Like every every even in like pop culture, right? Every group of alphas had one at least one who was like, ha, like let's look at this a little bit differently. If you think about the guy the guy groups that you've known in the past, didn't that wasn't that role already filled? That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. It's because yeah. there's always some kid who was somebody's little brother who was always around anyways. Yeah. And the, so they had to get to know him. Yeah. And they're like, you know what? This guy's annoying, but he keeps showing up. So he's going to be our, he's going to be our Murdoch. He's going to yeah. be our Ant-Man. He's going to be yeah. a weird guy. <laughs> so it's like, when I rise show up and I'm like, I'd like to be a weird guy. They're like, Sp yeah. sorry, spot safe. <laughs> yeah, seats taken. It's already filled and we Can't don't want any here. more weird guys. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, we've hit the quota. We we hit it's the one. Quota, we got one. We got until, and if the group gets bigger than that, then maybe we can get a second one, but there's a ratio here. We got to exactly. keep this thing tight. We got to scale properly. We only have five seats in the car. We do not have to it. We can't do it. Maybe you can ride on the roof if you're really. Yeah, we'll strap you down. You can. Oh my gosh. It's real nice. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's interesting to hear that experience from somebody else. And that's the beauty of this show is that you always think that you're going through all this stuff by yourself and like nobody else has ever been through the pains I've been through well going through the you know interviewing people on this show thinking people have it together thinking people you know are soaring high whatever everybody has struggled through a lot of similarities in one way or another that you, you're not by yourself like if you ever get into that way of thinking where it's like I'm I'm the only one dealing with this it's never true and that's you know that's that negative voice in your head trying to trying to make you feel alone because isolation is the quickest way to break somebody down, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Man, deep stuff, right? <laughs> I know, I know. Some of it, like I, I thought we were gonna get like, hey, you know what, deep stuff, but it's better than like congressional hearings about UFOs. Oh yeah, like, no, we're, <laughs> we're not gonna go there on this show, hopefully ever. But you know, as interesting as I think that stuff is, oh my gosh, I can't. I like, get yeah. the the bandwidth it takes to get into the the 
the amount of deception that happens on like just in the whole world yeah. is too much. It's like too I'll much. let you do that yeah, oh, on cool. the news. Like I'm gonna let you guys, you know, break through these walls and find out. Let your inve- your investigative journalist get that. <laughs> I'm I just want to talk about being being who you are. <laughs> yeah, if your investigative journalism starts to involve congressional UFO hearings and whether it's a waste of tax dollars or not, then uh, they 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 might be missing some stuff on your home front. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't feel like it's a waste of tax dollars though, because I want to know. But that's... I want to know too. But just let let them deal with it. Like we don't have to put a, a politician at the screws to be like, "Why are we talking about this?" No, let them do it, man. Just let no. them do it. That's, that's <laughs> never. Yeah, that's totally. Oh my gosh, I can't. That's, yeah, that's it. Because otherwise, we're just gonna start rolling. Exactly. I'm gonna before you know it, I'm gonna be in a whole different field. I'm gonna be in like politic, uh, like a political podcast. And I'm like, wait, how did I get here? Somebody help me. Help me, help me, Joe Rogan. How'd we get here? <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, I'm gonna do a hard reset here. There it is. We had to do it. We had to get there. But I love Joe Rogan. He's <laughs> yeah. a podcast hero. Um, I, I love how his podcast, it, he can move from talking about the Whoa. most intense thing to then, like, I was watching uh, him and Theo Vaughn oh talk about the most ridiculous yeah. conversations. It was a wasp. Uh, ejaculating and exploding because of the heat. And this is like actually happening. Theo Vaughn said it, so it sounded like it was a joke. And he's yeah. like, no, look it up. Look it up. Yeah. And he's like, Jamie, pull it up for Just us. Just like and he went to, hey, hey, bro, look it up. Look <laughs> and he, it up, and he did, and it was like, this is a real thing that's happening, but it was... He just navigates yeah. all these things, and it's all fun. And, you know, I, I appreciate that he does it because I want to try to stay focused on the the realm of being yourself because he's already doing that yeah and certainly an art form exactly it's it's definitely an art form and he's got much more he's more interesting asking very interesting people i want to like start with everyday people and so people can see themselves in my guest and can understand that they're not alone um can you tell me a common misconception about the news or news reporters that is not true and that is and if there is one that is that is true, can you speak to that as well? Yeah, I love. I don't watch the news because it's all so bad. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love hearing that. I said, when was the last time that you watched the news? I'll I'll concede the argument that a lot of it is bad, mm-hmm. and there's two routes that we can take on this. The route that I don't like is a little bit of shifting blame, where it's well, it's when we put the good things on, you don't watch it like. It's, we've got a lot of years of research that shows like the old adage in newsrooms for a long time there in the late 80s, early 90s was if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. Like that was a thing that was said that was like that. That was something they said and didn't blink. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Think about that compared to what we talked about with connecting with the impact of the things that we say and what it would have on someone's day if they heard it for the first time. Yeah, You turn on your television in 1995. At that point, the news is appointment television. You're going to sit down there, maybe with your family, and see what's happening in your city. And the first thing you get is like, boom, boom, boom. So I totally understand why that would have the rap that it does. I just cannot stand that. I've made it a point since I've been in news to find positive stories to tell, whether it's through nonprofits or events that are going on or just really cool stuff. Like, it could be anything from... You know, any kind of fundraising that people have going on to kid who wins the mullet championship. I'm like, this is just cool, fun stuff to talk about. We just did one about 
beat baseball. They had to beat baseball World Series in Norman for anyone with visual impairments. Those dudes are getting after it. Yeah. They're crazy. So if anybody looks at that and talk and sees those people having the best week of their life and tells you that's bad news, you're not watching. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's a, definitely a misconception that we try to fight a lot. Um, and I do think one of the things that, that does hold up is the idea of the watchdog. I think we in our in our circles. We hold each other up, especially when they keep the people who are in charge accountable. Uh, for so much that we can see that does go on, and the stuff that they let us see, whether it's in meetings or board meetings or whatever, in any kind of, you know, like a school board meeting, it's the first thing that sticks out in my mind. They always have that executive session, man. They always have those times where they, they shut the walls down and, and, and close things off, and that's your money. You know, you're sitting in there, and, and when you pay your taxes every time you get a paycheck and some of that money goes away. Some of that money's going to them. And I think we really take pride in making sure that we can keep track of where that stuff's going and that's going to the things that you want it to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if, if people are taking money and there's money from your taxes going to the jail and it's not being spent in a way that helps improve the jail or you know the, the conditions in the jail, then... We want you to know about it, or, or even if it's something that, you know, they spend money, anybody spends money on something where we think maybe it shouldn't be. Right. We're not going to tell you that it's bad, but we're going to tell you what's going on, and then you can see the impact of that through people's actions. So I think that the, the idea of the watchdog kind of mentality, keeping the powerful accountable, and, and making sure that, that the things that you want to happen with your leaders very old school, like pre-constitution of the United States ideology there, yeah. right, of, of checks and balances. Uh, we, we take that pretty seriously. That's good. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, you answered that question very nicely. <laughs> so I, I've, I've personally taken, like I said, I don't watch the news yeah. actively, but I follow I follow you, I follow Ashley Holden, who's no longer, she's out in, Air, in Arizona now, I think. But, like, you know, I follow a couple different news stations. So if there's big news, that way I get it. Through you know Instagram or Facebook or whatever, versus sitting down and having to see a lot of stuff that I don't really want to know about. Like you know, we talk about bandwidth, and I'm trying so hard to to develop as a person, as a father, as a husband. Whenever all that outside noise comes in, it makes me want to then try to develop as a you know as a person giving, as a better community member. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, I'm I'm paralyzed. I'm not improving, doing anything. So I hope to be a person in the future who is more civically minded again, being more involved with things that are happening outside of this house. But it's like right now, I'm trying to get my own house in order and focus on that stuff. But I appreciate people like you who, whenever a story kind of, you know, goes beyond for you, you mention it in your, you know, whether it's positive or negative or something that just really interested you, you'll throw something like, oh man, today on my story, I got to the... Or, you know, seven years ago, I interviewed the yeah. uh, Master Sergeant from uh, Full Metal Jacket. Oh, man. Or, you know, like, <laughs> I, I love seeing that stuff. I like it. That is really interesting to me. So, can you tell me a story or two that, uh, from your time doing this, that has really stuck with you and has kind of changed your perception of, of reality? Whoa. Oh, man. The ones that stick out. The first thing that comes to mind above and beyond everything is the... Oklahoma Honor Flight. So, again, every city I've worked in has been a military town. 
I'm not military myself. Uh, grandfather on my mother's side was uh, one of the guys that was a role model for me growing up. His name was Carl Bailau. He served in the 3rd Cavalry in World War II, uh, was one of the mounted police officers in Cleveland, Ohio, and actually made the movie Kill the Irishman, right? And he was one of the investigators that that movie was based off of. An incredible guy. I've always had held military in really high regard. I think it's just the way I was raised and the people I was around. So for the Oklahoma Honor Flight, they take a bunch of veterans from various different, various different eras, and they put them on a plane, fly them out to Washington, D.C. They can see all the monuments. It's literally a 24-hour, we left Tuesday morning, we got back, oh, we got back Tuesday night, right? So we go 24 hours, right? We'll stay there Monday night, leave Tuesday morning. Um, but it's all guys who couldn't make the trip themselves. So they could either couldn't afford to, they've never been there, it's their first time getting to see these. So you get to see guys who served in Vietnam, go to the Vietnam Memorial, find somebody's name on the Vietnam Memorial, and then they'll take a piece of paper and some and a pencil or something, and they'll scratch the name onto a piece so they have that. These guys, I mean, you're talking about some of the most rough and tumble dudes you've ever met. They just melt, man. And we followed a guy as he, he told us a story. Thankfully enough, he wanted to talk about it. There's some guys, we get up, you get to the stop, and they're like, hey, we're going to do Vietnam, South Korea. And they're Vietnam vets who are like, I'm not getting off this bus. I'm not going to see that memorial. These people couldn't give a rip about me and what we did. I'm not, I'm not going, which I totally get. This guy was like, hey, this, I, try, I was a field medic, tried to help this guy. He didn't make it. I know he's on the wall. i got to go find his name. So we followed this guy through the whole day. Went with him to the memorial, kept our good distance, right? Let him do his thing. And the guy found this name and couldn't even, I mean, he goes to put his hand, great visual for a podcast, goes to put his hand up to scrape this and his hand is shaking. He can't even get the lead to the paper wow. because it's all, I mean, it all floods back and hits him all at once. And it, I mean, he doesn't even get the, paper, the pencil to walk, just falls out of his hand. Wow. And you're like, okay, like that's something where you're like, this. It's just something that means a little more. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of stuff where you just feel a responsibility to share that kind of stuff with maybe people who won't get it. Because I think right. there's a lot of people, 18, 19, 20 years old right now, that are doing a lot of really good things. And they're fighting for a lot of rights. And they're saying a lot of things out loud that need to be said. But I think some of the people that maybe they're saying them to are the people that went and did the work so they could say those things in yeah. general. So you're barking at the wrong tree, for mm -hmm. lack of a better. Uh, and I think that was a moment where I was just like, whoa. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's probably the biggest one. I think a lot of, there's been some local election and local corruption stuff. Before, before we move on, I want to ask oh, yeah, that, that question. Let's go. It makes whoa. me think about like journalistic integrity, right? Oh, so there, there's so many different things about that specific story that make me how do you feel for one how does it make you feel sharing something so personal like that with an audience of you know hundreds of thousands two how like my first thing i want to do is go give that guy a hug and then three it's like i, I want to go pick up the lead and and you know scratch it for him so he, he's able to take that token with him but your job is to not get involved. A hundred percent. 
is the hardest part of the job. So in that moment, I mean, you're dying for that guy. You're, you're dying on the inside for that guy. I have no idea what that guy's feeling, but I know it's none of it's good. Mm-hmm. Not a single ounce of it is positive. Um, and I will say this too, like it's, it's, it's not, I don't know how this will be reflected on in the journalism community. And, you know, I don't really care. I, when something like that happens, I give that person a hug. If I go to a community or if I'm at somewhere where we know a shooting happened two or three days ago, I proceed with caution. And when the person is nice enough to take their time to talk to me about it, something that really actually hurts them, I give them a hug. I've ended many, like just like every interview with you and I has ended with a handshake. If it's something that's cut somebody deep and I know that they've gone to a place they didn't want to go to, I, I come in and give them a handshake and I follow up immediately with a hug. Because you just got to be human. At some point, like, man, you got to be human. It's more than a job. So, so maybe as far as like removing, I, I, I don't, right? Like I think part of being able to tell the hold story. On, we gotta, hold on real quick. My cat, <laughs> all right. my cat opens the door and lets himself in. Yeah. So it's going to take a while if I don't just go help him real quick. You're good. <laughs> Hello, Thunder. There we go. Come on. <laughs> go. The, the path is clear. He's trying to like keep his time in the spotlight. All right, so we're back. <laughs> Welcome to the Alexander Circus of Animals. Life, man. Oh, yes. I want a life hat. So we we're talking about journalistic integrity. Yeah. And so so for you, it's about just being human in that moment. I think that's what it's about, man. Because that's at the end of the day, like you're earning people's trust, and if they don't trust you, they can't tell you anything, and you got to show them that you're not. You're not able, or that you're not going to violate that. And I do, I do have moments where we'll get done with a story, and I'll ask somebody at the end. I'll say, "Hey, are you sure you're okay with us sharing this?" Um, which I think is something not a lot of people do. I think they get the story, they say, "Okay, cool, we got it in the can. Let's get out of here before they say something." Or I'm like, "Hey, are you sure? Like, we don't have to. We're not do this if you're not comfortable with it." Has it ever? Has anybody ever said you're? A couple times. A couple times. And let me tell you what. Like when you're up against a deadline. <laughs> at stakes, right? When you get an interview at three o'clock and somebody's like, you know what? I'm not okay with this. Um, and you know, the, in, in one ear, you're like, I hear what you're saying on the other side of your brain. Like, well, yeah, this is really good, but I think you can't, you just got to make sure because again, it's, it's. So, so what do you do? Do you just, do you just pull the plug on the story and would you find another way to tell it? Wow. You find another way to tell it. So the cool thing about telling a story in any capacity is, is you're working with a couple of different senses. You're working with sight. You're working with, with ears. So there are times where, like, if that happens, I'll go to a neighborhood and, like, where something happened, and I'll close my eyes. I'll stand in the middle of the street. It's probably not smart, kid. <laughs> and I'll close my eyes, and I'll listen. And whenever I hear, boom, Okay. So maybe instead of my vehicle telling the story as this person and their, and their heartbreak or whatever emotion is that's happened, maybe there's a styrofoam cup rolling down the street. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty quiet day here on Fill in the Blank Avenue. And you can hear this because the whole neighborhood's feeling a loss today. Mm-hmm. Right? So you can find you gotta get creative. You gotta get outside the box here, but you can find another avenue to tell the story. Yeah. So and maybe then instead of you know, instead of maybe having the sound from the from the mother or the family member, maybe you just talk to a neighbor and say, "Hey, like, it's kind of crazy. This happened here, man. What are you thinking? Like, what's going on with you? Yeah, it's nuts. Like, we're just trying to you know, 
stay aware and stay safe. So you can, you know, every news story you're kind of looking for uh, two different voices, not including your own, right? So my idea, my idea of a story is the people are telling the story, and then I'm connecting. I'm just the connector. I get you from one person in that one soundbite to the next soundbite. So I actually lay them out in the order I feel like I want them. And then my voice will just be the facts to get you from A to B. And then they're, I'm the facts, they're the emotion. So you can kind of find some different ways around it. But it is, it's definitely, it can be tough. But I think it's something, again, just a little humanity goes a long way. Because I think when you talk about misnomers with the news, oh, they just want their story. And then they're out of here, man. You'll never see them again. Well, don't be so quick to, don't be so quick to judge. So, with and which with you specifically, you know, doing the uh, the project live stuff, I worked with several different news stations. You were one that always followed up with what you said you were going to do. Everybody says, yeah, we'll send you, we'll send you, you know, when we're going to air this, or we'll send you a clip, or all this different stuff. Mostly never happened. You always followed up when you said you were going to follow up. You, you know, the conversation we were supposed to have, we had. I, I, I appreciate that so much in a world where it's not, it was not common for me. Everybody was, you know, they wanted me because the story was timely and they're like, yeah, we can, we can get a pop off of this. And which same, like, you know, yeah. it's, it's a networking yeah. relationship. It's like, I, I wanted the, the attention for project life. So absolutely we can write and I'm, I'm okay with that. But then whenever you promise something else, like fulfill that, you know, that engagement, like it's a, it's a deal just it, whether it's transactional or not, let's just make sure we fulfill all of it. And most of them were not like that. It was, oh, it was, it was frustrating. That's a like, bummer here. Yeah. It's like I'm looking forward to seeing what this, you know, what this video looks like, or looking forward to using, you know, a, a clip of it to post on, you know, the department Facebook or whatever. And then it didn't come, and it was like, well, okay. And I was, was thinking about like your end too. Like you're gonna tell your bosses, like, hey, look at all this. So we did this, this, and this to help promote yeah. this thing, and they're like, oh, really? Where's the thing? Like we did it. I swear. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> I'm making it up. Exactly. They, they, whenever they would saw it on the news, they're like, okay. Yeah. Like, you know, luckily, my capital with that part was pretty good. Yeah. There was no questions about whether or not they, they thought I wanted to be on the news too much. Oh, <laughs> like, I, I, I'd gotten accused of wanting the attention, and I didn't really care about the attention for me. I cared about it for, for yeah. it about, sorry, cared about Project Life getting attention, and you know, eventually getting the money and the being able to provide the service it provided, which you know. I still will say, if you guys are in need of uh, smoke alarms, call 316B, go to oklahomacity.gov slash fire, get yourself smoke alarms because it is the easiest way to go to sleep it's safe at night and make sure everybody wakes up safe. So <clears throat> I still push that Yeah. because it's important. But that's not my job anymore. <laughs> now I just want to talk to you. Um, man, that's like, it's such a, when you get down to it, it's such an important job whenever you're talking about telling somebody's story. I mean, and, and you have to take it in a way where, like, I get to help facilitate you telling your story. I don't have to do anything to manipulate it at all. It's not in my hands to take it and, and mess it up after this. It's like, maybe I, I can mess up the sound quality or I could, you know, maybe I, there's things I guess I could do. I could actually delete the whole thing. but. Yeah. Outside of that, there's not a whole lot I can do. You have to take this and you have to like paint a picture with different aspects of the story to try to be as true to the situation as possible. Like, is that hard? Some of them, yes, and some of them, no. So the ones that are harder are the ones that are more fun. So the 
the anytime there's like breaking news, right? You you kind of just stick to your stick to your what you know, right? The who, what, when, where, why. You you give them that stuff, you give them the facts, and you kind of let them decide. So that stuff kind of writes itself. The vehicle which you do that might change here and there depending on who you've talked to, what you have. You have a lot of sound from people that were there. It's more of your sound like from officials or like public information officers. It might change the way you do it just a little bit. Maybe you have really good video that you got from a store security camera or, or like a police officer's body cam or something like that. It would change the way you do it. But for a lot of that stuff, it stays the same. The stuff where you feel pressure is where you start getting more and more towards the sides of like humanity and, mm-hmm. and things that are going on that are really cool. Um, we'll go wild example, um, slight flex. When I was working in San Antonio, we were a hub station. Uh, what that means is we a lot of the things that happened in other places, and we're kind of broke, broken up into regionals, almost like conferences in college football used to be. Right. So we, it's like San Antonio is southwestern, has kind of area. And when I was working in San Antonio, we had a station affiliate in Little Rock, Arkansas. And that river flooded like crazy uh, to the point where we almost couldn't get a flight in or out because it was a mess. We got a flight in. Somehow, there's a small town out there called Dardanelle. We went and covered. The whole city was basically underwater. It was unbelievable. So we're going live all day long for all the different uh, the parent company that I work for is Sinclair Broadcasting. We're going live for all these Sinclair Broadcasting affiliates. And we had about four hours. We're like, we need a story from here. <sighs> okay, here we go. Like, where are we going to start? You know? So we, we just start driving around. Very limited because you don't have a lot of places you can go. And there's a, we see a bunch of sandbags in front of a local high school. We're like, okay, like this, we got something now. Now we're going. We start talking, high school kids, football program. They're stacking sandbags, not just at the high school, but at people's houses. Mm-hmm. So we're going to cool, we're going to follow these kids around. We get the video of them, put the sandbags. To me, so far in the beginning, this seems like a very straightforward story. There's flooding in this town. Look at what these high school kids are doing to save their city. Right. Pretty cut and dry. I'm like, yeah. I know exactly how we're going to tell this story. In my head, I'm already going through the checklist. Going, okay, I need this. I need this. I need this. I need to talk to them. I need to talk to them. This is going to be great. We get to the first house. Everything's going as planned. They're stacking sandbags. We talk to people on the house. Oh, my gosh. This is so great. We're so grateful. These kids are unbelievable. We start doing this thing. Go back. Go back. Get more sandbags. Cool. Of course, going to follow you guys around. We don't know where we're going. So we get to the second house. We're stacking sandbags in the second house. We take a step back, we're taking a break. I'm working with a photographer, thankfully. Paul's a rock star that weekend. He's getting a bunch of shots. I'm looking around. So how it usually works is, <clears throat> again, great podcast visuals. He's looking left. We'll try to paint a picture here. He's looking left and shooting video on the left. I'm looking everywhere else. So he's down the barrel of the camera, and I'm looking everywhere else for sight, sound, anything we can get that looks good. So he's right here, focused right down in front of me. I look over to the, basically 180 degrees away from him, there is a little girl going through the, the garbage or everything that was trashed from her house that completely flooded. We're talking toys and dolls and play sets and stuff like this. And this girl's sitting on her, in, her, in a chair in her soaking wet front yard playing with two Barbies on a tree stump. Just playing. Like, it's a normal day. Like, whatever. Like, it's just, they got a little wet. Like, what are you going to do? 
How did Paul go? Paul, you're gonna hate me for this, man. We gotta start over. Oh, our deadline's in an hour, right? I'm like, we gotta start over. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, this is it. This is the story. Don't get me wrong. Like, this is a great story. We'll keep all this. They're gonna get this. This is gonna be good. These high school kids are heroes. We should acknowledge that. This little girl's a story. Are you kidding me? She has, you know, her. She's out there playing in the front yard. Her parents are sitting inside the window. Once we start learning more, asking more questions, her parents are sitting inside the window crying. Mm -hmm. Just can't comprehend like what's going on. So I'm like, there's your emotion. There's your. If you want somebody to understand and fathom what's going on, it's not from these high school kids that are doing doing the work that they've done. It's this family. And you're like, oh man, all right, here we go. So you just kind of resettle up and retool, and you get going. When we told the story through them. We had the high school kids lay a couple sandbags in front of their house because they were going to. So we say, hey, like, let's get these. You're definitely part of this. But so stuff like that, man, you get going and you think it's going to be one thing. You go out there, you're like, okay, we got this great story. High school kids' sandbags is great. Good, good sound, right? Thud, good loud sound. We got everything we need to tell the story. And then all of a sudden, you see this little girl just shatters. So when you're going humanity, long answer, short question. When you're going humanity, that's what makes the difference. Yeah. That's what makes it. You can you can find you can have everything you think you need, and then at the eleventh hour, it can totally pivot because you see something totally crazy. So and then that went from a puff piece to you know a heart wrenching story, crushing in a in just a, you know a fraction of a second. Ten seconds, yeah, ten seconds. And that's a story you easily could have passed. You know, you could have passed that opportunity and yep. you know not captured the devastation that we you know really was happening in this town, and you chose to throw everything away. And tell that story because it was important. Yep. And shout out to, again, Paul Sanchez, the photographer I was working with there. He still works in Texas. He's incredible because he could have been like, no. Like, <laughs> like, we have everything that we needed to get right here. Like, we're not, we got to get this done. We're, and he also says like, man, you're right. Like, and he stepped up to the plate too. Like, at that point, you're a team and it takes two to make that happen. But yeah, you just, man, you just, all of a sudden it's just. Boom, just explode. It went from, it drew it, exactly what you said. It went from a, a cut and dry piece where we could have showed you the first three seconds of that story and everybody would have known what would have happened and where it went to. Mm-hmm. And it totally changed and went to one of the better things that we've ever done. So, I mean, I, I spent a little bit of time in the arena of news in college, like newspaper writing. And then my second time around, I took field writing and reporting. So yeah. I, I know a little bit about it. From what I understand, when you start at the beginning, you do everything yourself. Like you, you might even be like I saw a video where you were using your uh, iPad setup to, to be your own, like your own cameraman as you're doing your stand-up. How, like, tell me about how that has transitioned, even now from morning to being an evening anchor. Do you do anything besides <sighs> report it yourself now? Man, so this is such a crazy process. Um, when I went to college. Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio. Shout out. Just get them in there when we can. We were even learning tape-to-tape editing. Mm. If I told a journalist now to start there, they had to learn how to shoot in order and cut linear and tape-to-tape, and you couldn't mess up or your tape, their heads would explode. Absolutely. That's a super get-off-my-lawn thing to say, but it's (laughs) unbelievable, right? Or they're like, oh, well, it's on the SD card. We'll just, like, re-put it in and just start over. And I'm like, oh. Mm. Um, so yeah, starting off, I uh, was what was called an MMJ. Still exists today. 
really getting work done. That's a multimedia journalist. They will shoot, write, edit, everything from tip to tail. They are in control. It's a very important workflow. I think it gets a, a, a bad rap in our industry in the tier of, of payment. They're actually paid the least, which is very interesting to me because they are have to become some of the most skilled people in the field. They, they do it all. They shoot their own stuff. They write their own stuff. To me, being an MMJ was a better workflow, easier workflow for me than the next step up, which was as a reporter working with a photographer. As an MMJ, I know in my head, this is what I need to get this done. As I'm shooting the, the video and I know what I have, I'm already writing in my head. So it can you learn to be efficient. It's really important for any reporter to start as an MMJ because you learn that efficiency and you learn speed, right? Speed mm -hmm. and precision all at once. When you, so that's your kind of your first step. Everybody now starts there. Some people have made very long, very good careers there. Um, when you move up a step from that, air quotes on step up, because again, it's just pay scale. That would be a reporter. So now you're working with a photographer. The photographer will shoot and edit. So they'll shoot the video. They'll edit the video. The reporter will arrange all the interviews, conduct the interviews, write the story, write the script, sort of decipher the information mm -hmm. into what's important. That becomes a lot of collaboration where you have to be able to tell, talk to the photographer back and forth. Hey, this is what I'm thinking. So now you're having to have these thoughts of how I'm going to put the story together, but you have to have them out loud. And with another person who may be like, we can't do that, or I don't know how to do that, or I don't understand what you're saying. Can you describe to me better? Mm -hmm. So it becomes more of a partnership where you kind of work together. From there, you sort of branch off into two different. So when you're a reporter, when you're a reporter with a photographer, you can be sort of one of three pieces. You either settle in as an MMJ, you can report in the morning, which is a little different, but you're still reporting with a photographer. You can report in the evening or during the day side with a photographer, or you can be an investigative reporter, which be now becomes, instead of turning things daily, you're doing these in-depth projects where you're working hard, um, and it becomes a lot of you know, open information, ask requests, and, you're, and you're, you're going deeper. So you'll get like a week or two at a time to sort of put these things together. Now those become more like three-minute movies. And then the, the responsibility is still all on the reporter to do the, like, to fill out all the paperwork, yeah. set up all the interviews. Like, yeah. It's all on the, the journalist at the point. Yeah, a lot of places that I've, I've been have had teams, especially when you get into investigative, they have teams. So there's usually like two or three investigative reporters. There's like a projects manager behind the scenes that will help. I know at Fox here in Oklahoma City, we have an incredible, really our team is like one person behind the scenes and she is a rock star. Um, so yeah, but it's still, as far as getting the information, the interviews, it's on the reporters to figure that stuff out. And then you kind of take what you have and you start putting it together. Um, then you go to the anchor side, which is a little bit different, right? So you're kind of coming in. Um, it's more considered and viewed as a leadership position because you are the, the face of what's going on. And you, most of the time, the delivery method, you're conducting traffic. Uh, and you have a lot of editorial say on what's going on. So usually your anchors are the people who have a lot more experience um, it's also a bit of a different skill set, right? Where a reporter does 99% of their work behind the camera and then they present their story at five o'clock or whatever the deadline is. The anchor is a presenter first. And then whether you have interviews in studio or stuff like that, they're sort of breaking down 
Second, they still have to have all the knowledge the reporters have. Um, they just have to be able to present and deliver in a different way. So there's kind of a convergence there. And for me, it was, I wanted to anchor, I wanted to try it. So they started like giving me some, I anchored in South Dakota for three years, which was great. But it's like market 172, it's super small. So you can be an anchor in a small market just by staying around. Yeah. So when I got to San Antonio, they were kind of like, oh, whatever, well, maybe you've got some experience, that's great. So they started having me do like Saturday nights. And that was always one of my things was I, I, I don't know how to say no most of the time. Most of the time. I'm getting better at it. But so they'd be like, who wants to work Saturday? I'm like, sure, I'll, I'll anchor on Saturday. Why not? I can use the reps. And then I, I said yes every time. And so instead of who wants to do this, it was just, well, Adam's going to do it. Right. So we started filling out on Saturdays and Sundays. Then people in the mornings would like take a vacation or have sick days or something like that. So then they'd start putting me in there in the mornings. And I just, because I was the guy, I kept being the guy. Then you get experience, you develop a skill set, and then you just end up being a guy. So then I came to Oklahoma City. It's the first time to be an anchor full time. Um, and Oklahoma City's nuts, man. I moved here on a Monday, got here on a Monday. Then there was Tuesday, the Wednesday. So the third day I was here was the day Rudy Gobert, like, did the microphone thing after the Thunder game before oh, COVID. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Everybody remembers that, right? When he, bleh, and then, like, they shut the game down in the middle of the game. That was my third day in Oklahoma City. Wow. So it was interesting to be a leader in that environment and kind of grow through it to where we are now. Not just learning the city and stuff like that, but now to... Um, but, yeah, so there's, it's, it's two different mindsets. I still think... And I'm biased because I've been one. I think the multimedia journalist, the MMJ, is the lifeblood of what makes your newscast go, your local newscast go. You didn't, if your station didn't have five, some with six, some with seven MMJs, what you see on air is just not going to happen. Well, so I'm, I'm a little confused because if you're an anchor now, and you've been one since you've been in Oklahoma City, yeah. what were you doing out in the field whenever you interviewed me? I'm a storyteller, man. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't stay in the yeah. house like you're supposed to. I think most people don't now. I think more and more so. There are some folks uh, that, that get out of the house or that stay in the house and stay there and they just leave. That's what they do. Um, I think everybody that I've ever looked up to has been get out and tell stories. Mm -hmm. um, the guy that I followed, that was my mentor in San Antonio who I still talk to this day is David Chancellor. He's been there forever. He's never been a stay-in-the-house guy. Mm -hmm. uh, Wendy Suarez here for Fox 25 has never been a stay-in-the-house kind of guy. It's important, and we can contribute. We still have that skill set, right? We all came up through that route. We just took the right turn instead of the left turn, right? We took the red pill instead of the blue pill or whatever, and we still have that skill set. And I think it's very important as a leader that you don't ask someone to do something you're not willing to do. Mm -hmm. So if we're telling people you got to do a better job with these and we're not doing it, it's well, what are you doing? So plus I just love doing it. I love meeting people. Like if I wouldn't have gotten out of the house, so to say, like wouldn't have met you, wouldn't be here. Right. Like so I the the thing about this job that I love the most is getting to meet people and talk to people that I wouldn't get a chance to talk to. I'm not giving that up. <laughs> your just your detractors may say you're taking a chance from somebody who's, you know, who come come up in your position because you, you've got your seat at the table, right? Yeah. And going out and, and taking that story whenever you could assign it to some, you know, up-and-comer, do you feel any responsibility to, like, let the people who are learning that, that MMJ part to have some of that 
like, hey, I got a good lead on the story. You want to follow it up? Do you ever do that? Sure. So what I'll tell those people, too, is if you're at a job site and the foreman picks up a shovel and starts digging a hole, is anybody saying that they're detractor and taking the work away from somebody else? I mean, well, from so my time in the fire department, what happens is if your major picks up the shovel, you take it from him. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's the mentality of the fire department. I like that. You never want somebody who's got more time than you working harder than you are. I like that. So in that case, if somebody, like, hey, Adam, you did that last story. It was great and everything. Let me help you on that stuff. Sure. Is that happening? To a degree, yeah, I think so. And I think it's really, that's a cool part of what we do, right, is that whether it's background knowledge or a contact, right, I get every day in the newsroom is, Hey, I'm doing a story about this. Does anybody have a way I can get in touch with fill in the blank or somebody? And it's, I mean, 100%. We, we throw it, throw them in the right direction, give them everything that we have. If I've done the story on it before, you give them the background that you have. So um, I think it's that's an interesting way to look at it too because part of our, our job is you know, coming to work with two or three ideas that you think are really important. So while, again, we've got everyone that is kind of, with me here, they're bringing their three ideas or so. I'm gonna bring my three ideas or so. And if some of those overlap, like, yeah, you go ahead. Or maybe, maybe we have two different ideas or two different ways we were looking at the same idea. Now it gives us a chance to cover this story in a better way, more in depth way. And we've really made it a point on Fox anyway to take the first 10 minutes of our newscast and focus on one issue. So a lot of this last week has been back to school. Friday, we did a lot of work at the border. Uh, so we've, 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 we've really focused on people want to see us get more involved. Um, so we've done that. And that's a, a great way to mention to get involved. Someone says, hey, I, I want to do this. And you go, okay, cool, go ahead. You do it from this angle. What's a different angle I can do it from? Now we're working together. And we have a nice rising tide, right? And we come up with a, with a more in-depth reporting. We've got more information out there. They've gotten some foothold into the area, whatever it is, and then I can use what I've got to help them, and everybody kind of wins. Um, is, is it true, like, as a, I'm thinking about this, and I'm hearing you talk about it, it still seems like it's kind of a, we're working together separately. Is, is that kind of how it is? It's like, uh-uh, okay, look, you're, you've got a similar idea. I'm, I'll re- approach it from this way, you approach it from that way, and then we'll see what we've got. Yeah, kind of, kind of. Again, I think it's, uh, yeah, because we'll talk about, you know, we can do, let's go, let's do it this way. You name any subject you want. Pick a subject. Pick a topic for me. Um, the coming of fall. Okay, so this, tonight, our leading our broadcast here is the coming of fall, right? Fall's coming. So when you talk about the coming of fall, there's like a hundred different things you can talk about. We'll say, because it's already been said, right? Back to school. All this is coming of fall. You've got spring, or fall sports. So now you've got... Even in fall sports, you've got high school football camps coming up. Well, it's 100 degrees outside every day. How, what are they doing to stay safe? Back to school. What are they doing for school safety? Is the curriculum changed? What's going on? So you can already see how these things start to just, these ideas, like, multiply. So we try to find an umbrella, or what we'll call it is a bucket, and we'll take our ideas and we'll throw them in these buckets, and then we'll decide, okay, here's what we got in this back-to-school bucket. So it, it is a little separate but together, right? We're following the same subject but we're all going to tackle it in our own different way. And then it comes together at the end to make like kind of that whole thing sing. So let's, let's say we're, you know, 
we'll stick with that same umbrella back yeah. to school. Adam King says, you know, I, I really want to dig deeper into the football camps in this in this this you know extreme heat and see what's going on there. Uh, MMJ says, yeah, I want to cover that too. Okay. Do you say, oh, let me, I'll back off, or do you say, okay, let's get together and let let's let's brainstorm and we'll, and we'll see how we can attack this together. We'll do the brainstorm and see how we can attack it together, but we'll do it in about four minutes. Oof. Yeah. And then that was that all the time we'll spend together in that. Pretty much, yeah. So we'll we'll in that sit down, it'll it'll basically go like this. Like if you're the MMJ and I'm me, I'll go, okay, who do you got? Mm-hmm. Who do you guys talk to about this? Are you talking to coaches? Are you talking to athletic directors? Are you talking to parents? Are you talking to football players? Like who do you have ready to go? Like if you needed to get out the door in an hour and talk to somebody, who do you got? And then I'd say who I got, and we'll see if they're different. Great, we found a way to make this different. If they're the same. Then we got to figure out what we got to do. So there's so many ways we can find ways to make these different that I want to say very rarely does it come down to the fact that it's going to be you or me doing the exact same thing. What if this MMJ says, I like your people, but I want to go with you? <laughs> oh, well, that for that, like it's that that won't happen because just resources at that point, right? Like we we've got. We've got too much ground we got to cover to make a newscast happen. So, yeah, we'd, we'd split it up. We'd split it up. We wouldn't I'll go come in on my day off so I can work with you. I mean, you can. I, I, I would tell you, take your time off as your time off. But you, if you wanted to come in and go and check it out, you totally could. And we've done that with, like, interns and stuff all the time. They'll come with and so, so what, I, what I'm, you know, thinking of is the person who is not like me, who's not an asker, yeah. who is basically trying to, like, uh, shadow you. And, you know, just, like, keep showing up in the place. And for somebody like me, it wouldn't be obvious. I'd be like, okay, you do it. Yeah. Fine, like, you can have that. Yeah. Instead of saying, like, do you do you want to work on this kid? Do you want to, do, do you feel like I have something I can help you with? Yeah. Which now, like, if I know that, I absolutely want to give that to people. If there's something I can offer them and they want I'd like, just ask me. I'll give you whatever you want. Yeah. But a lot of people are afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious if, if that freedom of information exists within within you know your career where if people kind of like kind of show interest in the way you do things is that something that you share or is it almost like the way i do things that's that's my style you go find your own way and let me know when you get there and then we'll we'll attack it from different ways yeah we'll definitely share um because we're on the same team which has been really cool and i think in this instance where that stuff will come from will be if someone who's maybe a little newer has got what they think is a finished project and then they'll come to me and say, hey, can you take a look at this? Or maybe they don't ask me. Maybe I'm just like, oh, so-and-so did some of this. I'm just going to take a peek at it and mm-hmm. see what it looks like. Um, so it definitely helps in that instance to be vocal, but I definitely understand what you're saying. Like, Are we making sure that the people who aren't vocal are still getting the opportunities that they need yeah. or crave. I mean, let's put it that way, yeah. right? the opportunities they crave to get better. And I I think they are, but I also think that depends on the leadership and the culture that you have in the newsroom, which would start from the anchors on the way down. So if you have anchors that are, are kind of rigid and not very helpful, it's going to kind of kill that environment. It's going to make people that are already nervous to ask, they're never going to ask. Mm-hmm. Whereas I try to be a leader where if anybody wants or needs anything, like you just got to say something, right? And and it's 
you know, I understand that can be hard, but I think that's on me as a leader to make sure that we've created an environment where they feel comfortable doing that at any capacity, right? And we can get them through that. So they definitely will get their opportunities as long as, as long as I'm doing a good job helping look out for them. So have you watched any of the, like, I love newsroom type shows. Yeah. Uh, the, the newsroom is one of my favorites. Uh, the Good Morning Show. Have you watched yeah. any of that stuff? I have not watched the newsroom because I thought the newsroom was too close. I Ooh. am going to watch it now because so good, man. everything that I've ever seen with, I'm a huge fan of the show Billions on Showtime. Uh, okay. It's the same writer. Aaron Sorkin? Yeah. Aaron Sorkin with Billions? Yeah. I did not know He's that. He's part of the production team and writing team on Billions. Um, so I'm like, okay, like this is just going to be a stylish show that I can jive with. So do you like West Wing? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I watched I'm, the morning I'm show. I'm watching it with my daughter right now. Yeah, there you go. I love Aaron yeah. Sorkin. He's amazing. Yeah. So in, in, from that, what I've learned, <laughs> you know, I like and if you saying the newsroom is it's a little too close is good because like I take a lot from Aaron Sorkin. I'm like, yeah. This has got to be pretty true. Yeah. Because he does his research. Yeah. Right sure. Um, is that the culture in the newsroom is less about the anchor setting the culture by, like, you know, him speaking it and more about the culture being set up to please the, the head anchor? Great question, man. Um, so the, the overall temperature of the newsroom is going to be set up by your news director first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they set just, you know, this is what we're doing. This is our goal this is what we're working towards. And most of the time their hires or anchors will be somebody that they know will echo that sentiment. So if you want to think of horrible sports metaphors, again, if you want to think of the news director as the coach and then the anchor is going to act like the team captain. So okay. when the coach is gone, the team captain is going to keep pushing that culture and let people know what's going on. Um, unfortunately, folks, it's not like Anchorman. You can't just like walk in there and be like, this is what we're doing today. Um, but the, the morning show on Apple TV was an interesting, because there is a lot of stuff in there that I feel is fairly accurate. I wouldn't know. They're more modeled off of like a national, mm-hmm. obviously like Good Morning America. Yeah. Like they did everything but call it Good Morning America. Absolutely. So there's going to be some things in there that are different, but there's a lot of stuff in there that kind of reigns similar as far as dynamics, which I thought was really interesting. So yeah, the, the news director sets the tone. The anchors are really responsible for keeping that going and keeping that that vision and everything clear and, and keeping the relationships and the vibes going. So um, a lot of the times too, because with us, like our news director's in there from about eight to five or six, depending on the day and what's going on. Now I'm there from two to ten at night. So once the once the news director leaves, like I'm I'm helping push the ship in the right direction. Um, so is Wendy, right? So not only is there has to be connection with me and the news director to know that we're seeing things eye to eye, there has to be a really good working relationship with with the two anchors together, right? And they have to figure out where they stand with each other, how they're gonna push that forward. If if one person's really vocal, does the other person need to kind of to step back and lead in a different way. There's a lot of interesting leadership dynamics here too. So in both the Good Morning Show and Good Morning America, the the culture for being very misogynistic was, you know, it was called <laughs> out like really hard. Is that something that, that you notice still today in, in your 
um, and your piece of that, and are you outspoken against it? Definitely outspoken against it. Um, I've never worked in an environment that I have perceived to be that way. I know that as a white male, right, that's very easy for me to sit here and be like, everything's totally cool. Right. I'm not blind to that. I totally understand that. I think the environment still exists a little bit. Well, maybe more than a little bit in some places. I've I've seen I've seen the inboxes of direct messages and Facebook messages for me and my male journalist friends. I have seen a few because I don't ask to see them because I don't want to, but I have seen some of the inboxes for Facebook and Instagram of my female coworkers as anchors or reporters in the field. It's pretty gross. Oh, man. It's pretty gross. The things that people feel they have the liberty to just write in and tell a female is beyond me. If any of that stuff came out of my mouth, my mom would be around the corner and hit me upside the head. Right. So I don't know where, and, I, and it's not everybody. I'm not speaking for everybody. It's, it's the very select few that are writing in. But, you know, if I have five messages, she's got a hundred. Mm. And out of that hundred, most of them aren't great. Really? Whether it's either I can't believe you chose to wear that or interesting hair, you know, just like all this superficial, awful, just awful stuff. They enough pressure already. Right. Especially yeah. with like you said, what the industry has been um, getting through that and making it work. So I, I've always been really outspoken about that. And I've always made it a really, really interesting point. And I really hope that the people that I've worked with will see this too, uh, to make those women that I've worked with as comfortable as possible. So I just, yeah, that's the, it's the direct message. I just, it blows me away, man. So like in this, in this leadership position you're sitting in now, do you, do you have opportunities to address the staff and do you use those opportunities to, to talk about things like, you know, being respectful of um, sexual harassment type stuff and, you know, misogynism also, you know, being more true to this show about allowing people to show up as themselves and accepting them. Is that, is that something that you have an opportunity to, you know, address? I won't, like, address a room. Like, I won't get up in front of a room and people sit down and be like, hey, guys, like, everybody be cool. I will address that in my action and demeanor every day. So I really make it a point to stay positive with everybody. I come in, even the people that are only going to be there for an hour or two more, I'll come in, hey, what's going on? We got good stuff going on today, super positive. Keep everybody going. Um, people, people are weird, man. Like we're all weird, and I think if 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 as a person who grew up feeling weird, it feels like you have said some things where you can echo that sentiment as well, right? If I would have just had like one person like lean into that with me a little bit, I'd have been fine. Yeah. But it was everybody like as soon as I was weird, they pulled away. So I make it a point to lead by example. And if somebody says something kind of weird, like, I'll lean into it with them. And I'll be like, hey, dude, like, this is, let's talk about, like, this is fine. We can talk about this stuff. It's okay. Um, so it's not so much of a get up in front of the room and address it because HR and they do all that stuff, too, where it's like, hey, everybody be cool. Um, but as far as the, the letting people know they can be themselves, that is super important to me. Mm -hmm. I think it's, again, because of um, just where I've, how I've done it and where I've been and where I'm going and what I've felt that I think it's important to let other people know that they can feel it too. And it's okay to feel that kind of stuff. 
So yeah, it's not it's not maybe as an official capacity, but I've also always been more of a lead by example as opposed to a lead by like this is what we're gonna do. Uh, so and this like this is not to call you out. Like, sure. I'm, oh, I'm definitely not trying to put you yeah. on blast, but I I'm curious if you've ever considered the effect of somebody who is so lead by example. This person is always doing it right, right? That when you look when you have somebody like that who you can look to, that does it makes you feel good in one way. But when that person stands up and not only leads by example, but says, Hey, I want everybody to put attention on this thing and do it, everybody's like, Oh crap. Yeah. Adam, who always leads yeah. by example, is speaking on this thing, and that holds a lot of weight. And it's something that you generally only have to ever talk about one time because everybody then knows where you stand on it. Yeah. And then as new people come into the team, they say, Adam doesn't put up with that crap. So you better, none of that, you know, none of those racial jokes or, you know, whatever. It's important to see people like that, who, especially who don't look like me, being outspoken about that kind of stuff because it makes you feel so much more welcome whenever it's not just me and you. I know you're talking about that to everybody. Because I'm not like I'm not privy to the conversation you have with John and April, and it's whenever it's just us talking. I'm like I know that I've had people in my you know in my life tell me face to face like we're cool, dude. Like I really like you, and then put me on blast in front of the team, and and really put me down and say, oh yeah, like yeah, he's so he's so fat. Like you need to work out harder, Bruce. And it's like, dude, we just had a like one of the best conversations I've ever had, kicking it, being friendly, having a great time, and then as soon as we go out in front of the officers. Throw me under the bus. So, but then having somebody in a different situation stand up and say, hey, this isn't okay. It, it makes you feel so much safer. So, And I'm not challenging you. I'm just, I, you know, something to think about, something to chew on. Because you are a white male and there's no way that you can ever understand how being so different as soon as you walk into a room can feel. Both being female, I can't understand that, but also being a minority. Like, both of those things you can see as soon as you walk into a room is that I'm different. Yeah. And usually I'm one of the only ones who look like me in a room. So when somebody stands up and says, we're going to be accepting of everybody and they get to be how they are and just do their best job. And that's all that matters. It's like, wow, this place is amazing. Right. Yeah. I think that's a good point too. I think it's definitely something. Uh, I think it's just a great point to bring up and something to be more aware of. Right. I think, mm -hmm. I think, because that's a great point of it, to say. To, it's one thing to live it and do it. It's definitely another thing to say it, right? And I think I think that's a thousand percent right. And maybe a little bit of a spot that I can be more. I know you're not saying it to, to put anybody on, but I do think like that's part of living, right? Is you when somebody says something that's right, like that's right. Right. And I think to do something like that to will help make it right. I think that's a great point. And that's something about you know me honoring myself is I couldn't let you leave. And not say that thing because it's something that's close to my heart. And being willing to step into that discomfort and say, like, I really am not trying to put you on blast, but have you thought about this? Because, yeah. I've, dude, I've been in so many situations with, with white men where I've had conversations with them. And they're just like, I never considered this thing because it's never been a problem for me. You know, um, I talked to a guy at the fire, in the fire department who literally grew up around all white people, went to school with all white people never considered what his privilege, his privilege was like because everybody had it. He'd never been approached with somebody who just didn't have those things, who had to worry about driving because you don't know how the cop is going to react when you get pulled over. Like those, type, those types of things are totally taken for granted by a lot of people. And I don't want to get off my soapbox because 
it's something that's important to me. Not that everybody feels bad that, oh, poor me, you know, I go through all these things. No, understand your privilege and use it as use the power that you have to help people live a more equitable existence. Yeah, it's a great point for, for any you know, any position or any any Absolutely. anybody who's got any kind of authority at all. I mean, that could be could be working in a newsroom or it could be working at the store or, or even just in your friend group, right? Like you can have have equity and influence any influence at all, right? You can have equity and influence in a group of friends. You can be like, hey guys, like this, this ain't it. Yeah, and, absolutely. And that, it'd make a huge change right out of the gate. And you know, I've I've mentioned multiple times in many different uh, venues that white men are the silver bullet whenever it comes to like conversations about injustice, equity, race, because you are the majority for one, and other people listen to you without all these preconceived notions as to what or why you think what you think. As soon as I start talking about inequity, people are going to say, oh, God, here he goes again, because I'm just another black guy who's upset about the way the world has treated me. Someone, somebody who hasn't been through that stuff says, hey, look, like, let's look honestly at equity and, and the way that people are treated on this, you know, in this society and let's have a real conversation about it. Everybody takes the conversation much more seriously. They're much more honest about it. They're much more open to it because they're not immediately on the defensive. Yeah, do we think that's, man, I totally agree with what you're saying too because it's we've watched it play out, especially over the last three or four years more yeah. than anything. And like, at what point do we get to a spot where like the loud voices we saw a couple places where it spilled over and overflowed, right? Like the voices got so loud. Like we're not letting you just roll your eyes and, and brush this off again. Mm-hmm. And then you get to a place where like Seattle happens, mm-hmm. like or or Minnesota happens. And you're like, what? I just. So do we think that's ego? Like where does the eye roll come from? Because if if someone really is it a lack of is it ignorance? Because ignorance isn't an excuse, right? Like it's right. not, it's it's doesn't suffice for not creating positive change. So do we think it's it's ignorance where people? Because I think people who really understand the issue and kind of understand the direction. And while again we've we've mentioned, I will never truly understand, and right. I completely agree with that. But I'm definitely learning, and I'm definitely trying to to get a grasp on what has happened and, and will happen if nothing changes. Mm-hmm. And help push that in the right direction. But where do we, like, I just don't understand where the, because I've never been an eye roll guy. Like you right. said, like, somebody's like, oh, here we go again. And that's that's never been me. And it's like, at some point, folks, like, you got to stop rolling your eyes here. Because it's not, this isn't one in a thousand. It's like one out of five. Mm-hmm. So, and you could make a really good argument. It should be five out of five or four out of five. So, so when, when... Does that change? And I know it's like a question for a bigger. Well, I, you know, I think I think the biggest like that eye roll comes with deeper privilege or, yeah. or lack of understanding of privilege. Yeah. You know, whichever it, it slides on the scale. But you know, if you've had great privilege and you have some awareness of your privilege, you there's a possibly your eye roll or your eye roll, or if you've had you know some privilege but you have no understanding of what your privilege is, that eye roll comes because you, especially somebody who's had very little privilege, it's really easy for them to say, I've had to work just as hard as you. 
sure, you might have had to work just as hard as me, but you still started at a place where you didn't wear your identity on your skin. Like, it's just like you can't, you cannot debate that fact. Mm -hmm. As much as, you know, people want to say, well, I don't see color. That doesn't help because my other people did, and they treated people who looked like me a different way because of it. So not seeing color is not the, it's not the answer to the problem. It is a matter of being aware of how you have had a different starting point in this life. Whatever you've been through, whatever other things took away from that starting point, you still never had to wear your starting point on your skin. You know, socioeconomic status, it does affect the way that we're all treated, but it's different. You know, it's, it is also something your family had a chance to change. Yeah. And that's, that's unfortunate that they didn't for you. You still can't roll your eyes because somebody else is upset about their situation that they had no choice over. Yeah. I, I don't see color to me. It feels like, like brushing the problem aside. Oh, yeah. It feels to me like a, like a blanket answer. To, oh, well, I don't see color. So that's not, the answer to the problem is not disregarding the problem. Mm -hmm. It's the I don't see color. You need to shake those people by the shoulder and say, well, you need to Absolutely. because it's a huge dynamic of what we're dealing with. It's it's the dynamic and what we're dealing with and talking about here. So almost to a degree, that sounds to me like more privilege, right? It, it is. It's, it's must be nice to not see color. Exactly. It, it must be really nice to not have to worry about it. Exactly. Because for, for a lot of folks out there, like, it's the only thing they see. Mm -hmm. It's the only thing they base the decisions off of. Yeah. And thus, the disparity that gets created when that is the only piece of information you're making these yeah. large decisions that impact entire people's lives on, mm -hmm. um, including, you know, this is going really into a deep news nerd level here, but if you really want to talk about it, if you want to talk about, you make these decisions based on color alone, which impacts neighborhoods and zip codes, and we've statistically shown that where you are from and the zip code that you are in and the people that you are surrounded by where they where the money goes to those it's just it's a mess it's an absolute mess so now i'm getting all riled up that yeah the people that say i don't see color are actively to me ignoring the problem mm -hmm. and not it'd be like be like oh 50 or like you give them a statistic about robberies with like gunned and armed robberies and they're going like well it's not whatever like robberies are just gonna happen right no like let's not blah. Ugh, I can't. I just can't. Like, I get all... Yeah, don't... Just don't say... Like, you need to see it. If you say you don't see it, you're, it's, you need to see it. Because once we all see it, then we can recognize some of the systemic influences that that's having. And then we can start to answer some questions because it's not, like, taboo for some people. Well, and unfortunately, on the other side of that privilege is, is white guilt, which then also shuts people down from being able to look at the problem because they... They feel too bad to talk about it. They feel so overwhelmed when they look at the situation. They just, they just can't. And once again, that is a reverting back to privilege. It's like you just can't. Well, I just have to. <laughs> yeah, like, right. you know, like, again, I'm sorry that it's must, free. must be nice to be able to like. Exactly. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'm having a day. Maybe yeah. we'll get to that tomorrow. <laughs> must be nice. And you know, and these things are important to me. Like I've got my views and my opinions, but on this show, my my main role is just to ask the question, are you thinking about it? And is it something that, that you allow to shape your identity? And I hope it does. And I hope that, it, that you know, it makes you ask the question on a daily basis, am, am I doing enough to help support, support people being their best selves, you know, in my space? Like, you know, especially as you're raising into leadership positions, 
you get to help affect what the space looks like. And unfortunately, you can only be so passive before you become a person who is co-signing behaviors that you don't like. And at that point, you have to you have to be proactive in saying, I mean, you don't have to. You can do everyone. But if, if you want to not be part of the problem, you have to be part of the solution. Or else, you know, once again, you're just passively being part of the problem. And um, I like once again, I'm not saying that that's what you're doing. Right. I wasn't right. coming at you. No. This went much deeper than I had yeah, the first no, time I asked good, the question. But, it happens. Um, I'm going to try to rein this in because I don't know what your day looks like. We've already gone over two hours. And, <laughs> That's you know, just what happens, man. People get talking. So I, I've figured out my superpower. It is to make people forget any obligation that they have and sit down and just be in the conversation. Yeah. Like That's my superpower. And I did not realize I had that. But everybody who I've sat down with, especially my last guest, Peter Evans, he is like, I didn't think we were going to get through 30 minutes. Two hours later, he's like, wow, what just happened? Yeah. And it's like, you just, yeah. I just, you know, I just allow you to, to come in and be, your, be yourself and just have a conversation. And it's been amazing. Like, I think that you really shared a lot here. And I, I hope people take as much from it as I have. And I hope it's been good for you as well. Is there anything else that you want to share with our, you know, with our audience? Um, no, man, I do. I do appreciate it because I think especially in the last got lost in it but i think especially in the last half an hour it's going to be nice to come through this and and literally i'll go to work this afternoon and i will have something to actively think about and, and put into practice which is awesome so not only are you helping out the people that are listening you're, you're getting a little into the people that are that are here too so it's, oh, it's not just coming <laughs> to talk about right like i will i will actively go to work today and think about like making sure that i make it a point to let these people know that i'm working with it like hey yeah. Like, be yourself, do your thing, and let's make sure you get you have what you need. Um, the only stuff that I'd like to say right now is just support your local news, man. Like, we're out there. We're doing the good things. We're, we're doing everything that we can. We get it, right? Like, not everybody wants or needs everything that we have to offer, but we are going to offer some awareness and let people decide for themselves. I mean, it's always been what it, what it is. You know, we get a weird spot being Fox News affiliate, mm -hmm. so we're not like... Fox News. We're not like I'm not, I don't have Tucker Carlson on speed. <laughs> it's not one of my boys. Like we're just it's just how we get on the air. Um, so support your local news. Keep doing the things that you need to do to make yourself feel good. I always like to tell people to just be you and be unashamedly you. I know that that's not as easy to do as it's said. But I think if you just take one moment and, and be yourself in a moment where you thought maybe you should pull back, if you don't, you just, I think you'll like what you find. Um, always try to tell people just stay active and get moving, stay healthy, take the first step. It's the hardest part. And then, man, just just be cool to each other, man. Like that's, right. that's cool, all man. I got. I think just the, like was it the it's in the other guys where he's like well what about just like five million concerned citizens just like everybody stepping up and doing their part like right he says it as a joke but it's like man if everybody was just kind of cool like think about how much more stuff we get done absolutely just be cool man well i'm, I'm definitely <laughs> knowing you're going to be on the news i'm definitely much more inclined to watch now oh, like i mean I, and that, that's not me just puffing you up knowing that i've got somebody there who's whose goal is to get the information to me in a way that is not going to hurt me and is not going to try to fear monger because mm -hmm. that, that's something that, you know, I definitely remember in the early 2000s, late 90s. Oh, yeah. Is that 
the, just rasping up the fear was a big part of my, you know, my connection with the new. I don't feel that from you in the least bit. You, you want to tell the good and the bad with an air of humanity. And I absolutely appreciate that. And that makes me want to hear the news again. Ah, that's the best compliment you can get. Honestly, that, that means a ton. Like I said, it's just, if we get done and it's if five minutes or 50 minutes or whatever you watch and you're like, that's a guy that I want to sit down and have a beer with, that's the goal, man. Yeah. Like, we're just, we're just going to get it done. Well, man, what a, what a great talk. What do the, what do the next five years look like for you? Do you have any, do you have any big plans? Is, is this as high as you plan to go or are you trying to go national? So I'm in Oklahoma City for three more years. I just signed a new contract. It's kind of funny. I signed a three-year contract for the morning show, and then six months later, they're like, hey, we're going to move you to the evenings. So <laughs> I signed, I hit the reset button, right? So it's only six months, so like we just start over. So I'm at least here for three more years, and I'm really interested to see what that looks and feels like because our team, our whole team in the evening on Fox is all set up for the same three years, which is very rare. Wow. It never happens. It's always one person goes, one person stays. So that'll be fun. And I don't know. I don't have an end destination, man. Everybody, where do you want to work? I'm like, I don't know, man. I'll know when I get there. Mm -hmm. um, Oklahoma City has been great. As, as it's opened up and gotten to learn more and do more and see more, I've had so much fun here. So I'd be remiss if I if I thought about the time ahead and not enjoyed and made the impact that I was trying to make right now. So I kind of just take it like the one contract at a time. And like once I get to the last year, start having some conversations, see what everybody's doing, and we kind of go from there. But I will say this, if, it, if I ended up being a person that stayed here and was a, a 20 or 30 year long news anchor in Oklahoma City, that's a that's a good life that I could die happy with. That's, that's a pretty great. good spot to be. That's awesome. So if people want to learn more about Adam King, where can they find more Adam King? Oh man, okay. You got Fox 25 News at five o'clock, late edition at nine o'clock. Uh, that's, check your local providers or whatever that is and um also okcfox.com for a lot of the work that we go on and then everywhere else man facebook instagram twitter all that stuff if you search adam king it's actually a more common name than i thought if you google <laughs> adam king you're gonna get a dude who was on the real world for mtv oh really way back in the day so follow him doesn't look anything like me so follow <laughs> him like just give him a shot right like rising tide um but uh twitter and facebook it's like adam king news instagram is a little I tend to be a little more personal and less professional on Instagram. So if you want to connect with me professionally, like those are the ways. And if you want to connect with me, like as a, as a guy, uh, Instagram is probably the shot there. And then the emails, Adam King at SBG, uh, South Bravo gainer television video.com SBGTV.com. Right? right. So, and, and I'm always looking for ways to connect with folks and, and stories, and if you see me in public, I make it a very, very poignant point to not be noticeable in public. If you get me, and you're like, whoa, I know that guy. We're gonna stop and we're gonna take a picture. It's like a Where's Waldo thing. It's like, <laughs> if you can do the homework and figure me out and find me out of the crowd, like, we'll take a picture and do a thing. I never mind doing it, but I do try to keep up, like, the lowest profile that I possibly Absolutely. can. But I'm never averse to saying I always appreciate the people that appreciate it. I mean, I could tell you what Jimmy works out at, but I'm not going to do They all know. They're all making fun of me. Anyway, so they all know. <laughs> and I, I'm really just pleased with how honest and just genuine of a person you are. And I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing yourself and being open to, you know, be vulnerable. 
because I really I believe that that's where the healing happens, and I feel like that's where we're gonna you know reach the most people, and they're gonna listen to this, and they're gonna say, I see myself in that person, and I you know I see his hurts, and they're similar to my hurts, and and I never would have thought that I had that in common with a you know a news anchor for the entire city of Oklahoma City. Like that's you know if you are listening from somewhere besides Oklahoma City, it's huge. Oklahoma City is a is big, so it's actually a, a very big market as far as markets go. And um, and and you're just a, a great dude, and this conversation has been amazing. I never had a doubt. <laughs> He's like, I already knew. Well, I mean, I people that care get together and start caring together. We're not you and I aren't so different, like in energy wise, right? Yeah, we're we're good vibe guys, and uh, I don't and, know. And, and this was a good vibe, <laughs> absolutely. Man, if you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a follow at. Authentic on Air with Bruce Alexander. Make sure to like it and share it with someone you think might enjoy it too. Also, please check out earlier episodes to support the future creation of great content. Don't forget to like us on social at Authentic Identity Management. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, and LinkedIn. You can also head over to the Authentic Bruce YouTube channel for podcast video with bonus content and impactful clips from my great conversations with these guests. Finally, if you are struggling to show up as yourself in your content, your work, your life, or your family, I would love to help you. Authentic Identity Management does identity coaching to help you align yourself with the identity you share with the world. It's exhausting to live someone else's life. Live authentically and access the potential that belongs only to you. You can contact me on social or email at bruce at authenticidentitymanagement.com and we can set up a free 30-minute consultation. Thanks again to Adam King, who's been amazing today. That is it for today's episode. Until next time, Be yourself and love yourself. Bye, everybody.